Jake, I saw Mark Dykton in the uh, parking garage. Mark, no wallet this morning, um, so I had to let him in. And Mark goes, I'm surprised you're wearing clothes. That's right. It's you not did. usually something that a lot of people, but frankly, even my wife says, says to me very often. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the quote from you, though, in your defense, was that if Mike Bray was fired, you would run naked? Is that what it was? <laughs> uh, something to that effect. Yeah. Uh-huh. But instead, I, Mike Bray is simply retiring, right? The old mutual parting of ways, yeah. It, I think officially it's a retirement. I think, again, it's more of on the mutual parting of ways. So a hell of a run for Mike Bray at Notre Dame. Um, obviously, I've been pretty fandom over the last month or so in my displeasure with the state of the Notre Dame basketball program. But as I just said to you, Jake, I will not deny it was incredible what Mike Bray did. Not only, you know, really did it in both conferences. Great success in the Big East, transition to the ACC. Uh, but it is time for some juice and some life. And juice and life, that's what you got from the other uh, high major big programs in the state of Indiana last night, Indiana and Purdue both getting convincing road wins. And, Jake, I would argue that last night was one of the more impressive wins of the Mike Woodson era. No argument here at all. Um, and, by the way, good morning to all of you. It is a Friday morning. Hallelujah. Friday, Friday, Friday. Here it is. Boy, the week does go fast, I will say. But Friday is here. That was the voice of Kevin Bowen, who was wearing his Notre Dame hat. For uh -huh. those of you yep. who are new to the program, uh, where have you been? Kevin is a diehard Notre Dame basketball fan, and while a great admirer and supporter of Mike Bray has been saying for a while that maybe it was time for some new blood in the Notre Dame basketball program, we'll talk about that over the course of the morning. I think they get Brad Stevens. I'm sitting here looking right now that Boston last night defeated Golden State 121-118. They are right in contention for trying to win an NBA title. That would be yeah, difficult not. to lure yeah. away their president. Uh, one would South think. Bend isn't attractive um, to Tracy Stevens. <laughs> Uh, but Indiana last night, Indiana and Purdue, uh, a great win for both teams last night, and I'll tell you why, both on the road, obviously. Minnesota totally outmanned against Purdue, but what's most impressive about that is it was not your classic signature Zach Eady game, and others had to step up to kind of offset that, if you will, or just simply have balance for Purdue, and they were in control the whole way. Indiana, on the other hand, it was a, I mean, one of the best performances you're going to see out of Trace Jackson Davis. That was the first team All-American, Trace Jackson Davis. No question. Uh, an array of moves, his footwork under the basket. Illinois had no answer for him. I think what facilitated it partially, no discredit to Trace Jackson Davis' skills, uh, the fact that without Race Thompson, they did get really good play from Geronimo yeah. and, and you know that second straight game he's given them that totally and and that means lack of double teams on Trace Jackson Davis and you see what happens right yeah I was very confused by Brad Underwood's refusal to double team Trace Jackson Davis uh and honestly Michigan State now coming up on Sunday that's kind of their MO we saw that and how they uh tried to defend Zach Eady on Monday Michigan State by the way an important win last night at home over Rutgers, I think that helps Purdue. But, yeah, Trish Jackson Davis was, again, first-team All-American, good last night. You know, Mike Woodson took that early timeout. They were down 4 nothing. You don't typically see coaches do that. And then after that, they go on a 12-0 run, and they pretty much led by 
what felt like double figures the rest of the way, certainly throughout the second half. You know what, Jake? I, I'm, I'm kind of reminded this watching Indiana play this season. They need to get something out of this year. Like, it's very important to get something out of this year because in all likelihood, the two best players on the floor last night for Indiana and the two best players on their basketball team are probably not going to be there next year. And Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Shafino. I would agree on this is gonna sound crazy, Kevin. Like I think Hood Shafino will get drafted in the first round. Late I, first round right now. I talked to I talked to to somebody, an NBA scout, recently, who said that they believe that he has now played his way into the first round. And that he would be a first round selection. Now, not a lottery selection, probably, right. to right, your right, point, right. but a first round selection. Trace Jackson Davis, on the other hand, does he even have eligibility left? I, I, I'm he has can, a year left. Is that the COVID year? When you factor in his – it does feel like – I mean, he clearly has emerged as a big leader for them. This is kind of his program at this point. But depending on what happens around him, Kevin, it, it, the amount of money that he could make at Indiana through NIL with his Adidas – sponsorship, for lack of a better word, and just the NIL money compared with the amount of money, even though I realize that in the NBA it's a multi-year contract. But if he is a second-round pick, which I think at this point he is still a second-round pick, he would be getting non-guaranteed money and would be probably a guy that is a fringe roster player in the NBA next year. He may be better off coming back. Well, and what about the appeal of his brother on campus now? Yeah. You know, would that play into any of it with his brother transferring there? I mean, again, last night, 35-9 and nine for him. And when you think about his play this season, Jake, it's not like we've seen any ounce of the NBA side of his game. Like, we haven't seen him stretch the floor, or we haven't seen him, you know, dominate with the right hand. Like, he still is just a very 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 good college basketball player he did show better footwork i thought last night though yeah i guess you know made from footwork lateral movement you know yes. all, all of that standpoint but the things that you thought you would see more of his nba game we really haven't seen any of that but when illinois is going to play them or play him like they did um trace has that capability and really it was very vintage of what we saw last year when they made that run in the big 10 tournament obviously what they did with wyoming in the play-in game uh, that was a pretty special night for Trace Jackson Davis. As you said, Purdue stingy on the defensive end. Alan Karpik, who we've had on the show, had this, Jake. 44, or excuse me, 39 points allowed by Purdue last night. That is the lowest they have given up on a team's home floor since 1944. Since 1944? Yes. The lowest they have allowed in a road game. I mean, what what was the average point total in 1944, right? Uh, the team was the University of Chicago. Vaunted Big Ten opponent back then, right? That, that was a Big Ten opponent. Uh, 12 in the was first it, Was half. it still a Big Ten opponent in 1944? I, yeah, I don't know if that was a big... Was that a marquee non-conference game? Hey, head up to 65. We'll stop at Fair Oaks on our way home <laughs> they, if we get the win. They, they, milkshakes for everyone. Hostile environment. <laughs> 
they they're like, listen, guys, when Selection Sunday comes on, we need a, a good yeah. non-conference win. I got to help our RPI. <laughs> That's right. They were worried about their RPI, which I think RPI was a school at one point as well. When I watched Braden Smith, Jake, and I think I mentioned this a little bit in the fall with Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. I get Villanova guard vibes watching those two. And you know what? I, I don't know if this comp makes sense, but I'll throw it out there and see if you agree or disagree with it. When I watch Braden Smith, I think Kyle Lowry. Okay. Probably not the exact body like type. Like a guy that you look at and you don't think that he's necessarily overly athletic, but he's like just creative and crafty and, and gutsy on the way he scores. Exactly. And like you, you just kind of look up and you're like, oh, wait, he's got like five rebounds in this game. And he has no business having five rebounds from a height standpoint. I've always thought Lowry was kind of an underrated rebounder for his size. And I feel that way about Braden Smith. Last night, 19 7. And seven. I think Jay Wright would be the first to tell you, because again, that's kind of how he really turned that Villanova program into being heavy guard centric. And Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, those are two guys who just make you sleep well at, at night. Um, so an outstanding performance on the road by the freshman from Westfield. Purdue is now 5-0 and on the road in the Big Ten. So half of their Big Ten schedule is complete. They are a perfect 5-0. and Jake, if you want to... Want to um, formulate a blueprint preseason to winning the Big Ten, I would say winning your first five road games is a very good place to start. By the way, University of Chicago bolted from the Big Ten in 1946. Do you think it was that loss? Yeah, that. I, I, yeah, that's a great, <laughs> great, like, great, that's great question. That's it. I am not doing this three more uh -huh. years. No chance. <laughs> yep. We, we set a record. That's it. I think you have the same venom for their fan base as I've had for Mike Bray here recently. <laughs> So what is your – when you have said that – and I know that – and I want to make sure that we're being clear here and people understand it. By, by the way, I had no idea. Did you know that Johns Hopkins is an associate member of the Big Ten? Did you know that? In lacrosse? Aren't uh, they very good in lacrosse? That may be right. It may be just one. I think Notre Dame's in the Big Ten for hockey. They right? are. That's correct. Notre Dame is. Um but I know that you joke a lot about Mike Bray, and you've been making the joke, you know, fire him. That part I know is is hyperbole. But there mm -hmm. are times with a coach where you can just tell that they've done an amazing job, but they've kind of hit the ceiling. You get that kind of with quarterbacks as well. Well, Jake. But can you expand on it? Okay. Mike Bray is probably the – I guess him or Digger, you'd argue the greatest coach in Notre Dame basketball history. Look at how the greatest coach in Purdue history's final four or five years went. Yeah. Look at how the greatest coach in Indiana basketball history's final four or five years went. I think we all just assume right off into the sunset, Hollywood ending, Sweet 16s and Elite 8s, and in Notre Dame's case, those were exceptional seasons. So in Notre Dame's case, it's more like, did you win a game in the tournament? Would have qualified as a great year. I don't want to compare Mike Bray's resume exactly to Gene Cady or Bob Knight. But you know that firsthand, Jake. I mean, Purdue was struggling to make the tournament there late with Gene Cady. In Indiana's case, they were struggling to get out of the first round with Bob Knight totally, over the yeah. final few years. So, you know, I got a lot of pushback, you know, just from people and saying, like, you don't understand how good of a run Bray had and all this. Bray has admitted in recent years 
that like he's had to be re-energized a bit. And last year, the late season resurgence for them, winning the play-in game. I mean, hell, they were a possession or two away from going to the Sweet 16. But again, they still were a play-in team last year. They have not made the actual bracket. Like, if you take out the play-in, they have not made the at 64 team bracket since 2017. And that's just a lull that you can't have. Again, I have a ton of respect for what he did. And my brother has instilled in me that for two decades for Notre Dame basketball to achieve the amount of success that Mike Bray had it at, again, going from two conferences, I, I think that's a big deal. Going from the Big East, going to the ACC um, it, it is pretty remarkable. Having said all that, bring him to our PBR party because <laughs> he's a fun dude. He would be fun at our PBR party. And time to get some new life, new But blood. here's the thing, though. What if our PBR party is, and I don't know that this is going to be the case, but what if we did it on, like, the opening days of the tournament? Would, <laughs> is he going to be free? <laughs> the only thing he'll be doing. Knowing though, Notre Dame's history, probably. Well, the only thing he'll be doing those days, he'll be on TBS, probably. I think that that's usually what he's done lately during the tournament. They just bring him in studio because he's so good on air. Um, I've got a name to throw out at you, okay, for a candidate. Okay. John Beeline. That would be outstanding. I, I know that John Beeline ran into problems in the NBA. What do you think? How old is John Beeline? He can flat out coach, though. Mark, I'm going to guess 68 for John Beeline. I'm going to say 71. Gosh, is he north of 70? That's my guess. What about our guy yesterday, Bruce Weber? Bruce Weber would be a good one. He made it pretty clear he wants to get back into it. I do think that well, the Notre what were your Dame guesses for Beeline's age? It's 68. 71. I, I'm afraid Jake is right. 69. Boom. 70 on February 5th. Gosh, that's that's up there. You know, the great Ed Sorensen once said to me, when you're talking about coaches like that, he used it as a a metaphor, not a metaphor, but a phrase for life. And he said, Jake, don't ever forget one minute you are a multinational champion who can do whatever he wants in a state and then you blink your eyes and you're getting blown off the floor by a bunch of surfers in buffalo new york and that was the last game of bob knight they lost to pepperdine they got absolutely blown off the floor in the 2000 ncaa tournament and then we know what happened all of that to say, there was, not to bring up this topic, but there was plenty of reason to fire Bob Knight. And I believe as a diehard, diehard, diehard Indiana basketball fan and all of that, I believe that his firing was justified. But I'm also smart enough to know that in the 2000 NCAA tournament, had Indiana not gone with what was their pattern and getting blown out in the first round by a school like Pepperdine of all, but if they had gone with the pattern that was normal for Indiana from 1976 to 1991 and made a deep run and been a legitimate playoff or Final Four contender, uh, he probably gets scolded and not fired. It's all relative, but one of the greatest, most iconic, and certainly polarizing but admired coaches in the history of college basketball found himself in a situation where the ends no longer justified the means. So it happens in most cases, to all coaches, to your point. Yeah, I do think the loss of Bray is kind of a bummer for college basketball. Yeah, I think him and Jay Wright, you, you would slot in the, bless you, you'd slot in the, you know, these are you know, some of the good guys in, in college Great basketball. Great guy, for sure. 
Um, a couple of other names to keep in mind. We'll have Greg Rachel on at 8 o'clock. Jake, I'm not sure it's a very good job, first off, the Notre Dame gig. So, you know, someone threw out the name to me yesterday, Indianapolis native, coached at IU South Bend, was a Matt Painter assistant. He's had nice success early at Penn State. Like, it, and that would be Micah Shrewsbury. Is Penn State a better job than Notre Dame? It might be because the Big Ten – I mean, Notre Dame's I don't know, fan though. base that, that, stinks. The facilities are mediocre. I think actually, You're Kevin, playing second fiddle. I guess Shrewsbury's playing second fiddle. I was going to say, there. I think they're probably mirrors of one another, right? You're in a conference that's pretty tough. You're in a school that you're just carrying people over till football season. Speaking of football season. Um, I do want Chris Quinn, by the way, former Notre Dame player. That's the guy. How long are the Colts going to interview people? Oh, this is going to go into February. Yeah. And, you know, part of it, Jake, is that your hands are a little bit tied this week because the rules state that the divisional round candidates, which I think the Colts have added five names to that list, you either are interviewing them like today or you got to interview them after their game Sunday, Monday. I mean, think when we had Chuck Pagano on earlier in the week, Baltimore makes that run to the AFC title game, and the first time Chuck talked to the Colts, was the day after the AFC Championship game. So when you want to interview these coaches that are making rather deep playoff runs, your hands are a little bit tied. It's not like Denver. I mean, we've got five openings still in the NFL, and it's not like any of these other teams seem to be at the finalist stage or anything. I do like to see the name yesterday that they added to the list, and that was Brian Callahan, the Bengals' offensive coordinator. When all of this chatter started, and obviously Frank Wright got fired in early November, the two names that I was most intrigued by, D'Amico Ryans and Brian Callahan. Um, For those that obviously follow the NFL, they will know the Callahan name. Yes, he is the son of Bill Callahan. Jake, if you're looking for the candidate that has the best quarterback background, who's worked with the most notable quarterbacks, Brian Callahan is that. Pate Manning in Denver. Matthew Stafford's position coach for a couple seasons. Derek Carr's position coach after that. And most recently, of course, he is the offensive coordinator for Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, he doesn't call plays. So, may I ask a a really dumb question here? I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to ask it. It's such a dumb question. This is a daily occurrence, Mark. People just waking up on a Friday are going to say, I didn't think the week could end with a dumb question. But that's the dumbest of the week. Okay. When the Colts announced that they have requested permission to interview Brian Callahan, or they have requested permission to interview Leslie Frazier, whoever it may be, does that mean they simply have asked permission to see if they are interested in the head coaching job? Or does that mean? that they went on LinkedIn, which we know is the tender for business people, but they went somewhere and saw that Brian Callahan had expressed interest or quote-unquote applied for the job, and thus they have an interest. In other words, is his resume in the pile, or are they asking asking for permission to ask him if he wants to submit a resume? Yeah, I believe the NFL sends out, you know, a pretty – extensive document each year of these are candidates that we feel like around the league deserve looks. Um, Having said that, I would like to think that your connections around the NFL, if you're Chris Ballard or the people under him, you don't need to look at that document too much. Well, but what understood, but what I'm saying is, so if, 
if Chris Ballard has have the Colts, excuse me, if the Colts have requested permission to talk to Brian Callahan, we'll use that example. Yeah, Chris Ballard is calling Zach Taylor and saying, "Hey, we'd like to interview Brian Callahan." Understood, but is that because Brian Callahan has said, "I'd like to apply for the job. Can you find out if I can?" Or are the Colts simply saying, "In other words, are, are there people that are like, yeah, I'm glad you asked permission, but I'm not interested in talking yeah, oh yeah, to you." Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, I think. I mean, again, Chuck said that to us earlier in the week of. Ryan Gregson, I think it was, calling John Harbaugh and John Harbaugh bringing Chuck into his office and said, is this something that interests you? Do you want to do this? And Chuck said, yeah. So, boom. They were able to facilitate that. I wonder if they do not... I mean, for the most part, I I wonder if they don't publicize that they've asked permission until they know that there is a marriage on both sides of interest. Yeah, obviously you can go behind the scenes a bit. Like if if Jennifer Aniston told me she's not going to go with me to the golden globes i probably wouldn't tell people i asked unless she was considering going with me right Mm -hmm. right good realistic analogy there (laughs) on that front you're right there's no way she wouldn't go would michael lewis take the notre dame job here's the thing he's got to hold out for bloomington i I was that's it i i would think it would be easier to go from Muncie to Bloomington than it would be to go from Muncie to South Bend to Bloomington. John Calipari and Rick Pitino are both Catholic, if I'm not mistaken. You really like Rick Pit- I mean, what's the what's the best Italian restaurant in South Bend? Uh, probably. Fazoli's? Yeah, I was going to say Pacini's, but Fazoli's is probably a close second. I mean, Does the Granger fast area food, we know that nice- he doesn't. Rick Pitino doesn't need to be in the Italian restaurant more than just a couple minutes, right? No, easy now. <laughs> that was a below the belt. <laughs> Literally. Um, Muffin McGraw, maybe, if she wants to get back into it. Um, the other thing I was curious about on Callahan, Jake, you know, this happened late in the week. We saw Ben Johnson, the Lions coach, withdraw his name um, from all of the openings around the league. Is this the Colts saying, let's get another offensive candidate on the list? Because right now they have, I think it's one more defensive candidate than they do on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Jeff Saturday's interview took place yesterday, so that is the only interview to have taken place my so far. My mom asked me. I think my mom is really a Jeff Saturday fan. Oh, it seems pretty par for the course. And she said, this is last night. My mom doesn't realize that we do a morning show yet. Jake, so, I agree to those Dan Orlovsky tweets. <laughs> my mom texted me at one o two a.m. <laughs> Just like her son. Do you think that Jeff Saturday has a chance at this point? And your response? Yes. Boy, that's a riveting back and forth. (laughs) Any context? Any? Well, it was 102 in the morning. Mom, I have to get up in four and a half hours. Will you follow up? Has she followed up? Did she give it a thumbs up? Well, my mom, I didn't actually, you know what? I didn't respond until this morning when I woke up. I I was, I think I was awake when I, when I got that, but I was like, but I, I, I fell asleep. Uh, what do you think? Am I off base for telling my mom that I think, in fact, yes, he has a chance? My thought at the end of the year, Jake, was this. Jim Mercer had cooled a bit on Jeff Saturday. You think so? At the end of the season, that was my thought. That Jeff Saturday, uh, in Jim Mercer's eyes, it just it gotten to the level of embarrassment that was too much. I think the further you get removed, the more that Jim Mercer's just emotional connection and relationship with Jeff Saturday shows up again I think he's very much in the mix okay and if he gets the gig boy I'd love to see Chris Bauer's reaction behind a closed door 
Would love to see it. D'Amico Ryans, Mike Kafka, Brian Callahan, Raheem Morris. If I was making kind of a wish list, Jake, probably in that order. Somewhere in that order. I, I think Raheem Morris would be outstanding. I really do. I think he probably learned from his first go-around. I think he was well-liked in Tampa. Um, my understanding is that he, in terms of getting guys to buy in, is really good at that. You know, a lot of it depends also, Kevin, on, and let's not forget this, you know, getting good coordinators is a big part of it too. And, you know, who would he bring? I mean, there are a lot of questions that go into play there. Our final 9 o'clock tips of the season for the Pacers, tonight and tomorrow, Denver and Phoenix. I was thinking with Phoenix, Jake, Monty Williams, Notre Dame grad, the Suns, you know, kind of in a little turmoil, new ownership group. Could that be their Mike Woodson type hire for the Irish? Maybe he seemed okay. You Monty, imagine leaving an NBA job to go coach Notre Dame basketball. <laughs> I would think that the the job he has, although think about it, I mean, under five hundred, Phoenix, a team that was right on the cusp, and you know, and he was kind of the flavor of the month. It's shocking how poor they've been this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. No, he probably wouldn't take it. You're right, but you never know. I'm fascinated to see how that job is viewed on a national scale. And, again, I'm pleased that Notre Dame has done this. And, and, you know, that Mike can have the final month and a half, two months to be celebrated a bit. And at the same time, Notre Dame can get a head start on things. So a whole lot to get to on this Friday edition of Kevin's Corner. Greg Rakestraw going to join us at 8 o'clock. sounded like uh, the Jags almost got a W last night up at the fairgrounds. Boy, they need one. Three and yeah. 17 now. Yeah, Rake was on the call for that one. James Boyd, the uh, Fighting Illini product. You can only imagine what his mentions looked like last night. We'll talk a little Colts with him coming up, and obviously a lot about Indiana and Purdue getting convincing road wins. Extremely impressive by both IU, one of the finer performances of the Mike Woodson era with an outstanding effort from Trace Jackson Davis. Good Friday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Speaking of Ball State Basketball, they are in action coming up tonight. As a matter of fact, at Kent State, cards coming in on a two-game win streak. They are 13-5 overall. Kent State, though, 15-3 and 5-0 in league play. That game tips at 6.30. But last night in college basketball, Indiana over in Champaign. Sensational in terms of of their front court play. Trace Jackson Davis, 35 points. Jordan Geronimo added 13. The two of them combined to go 21 of 27 from the floor. Indiana winning 80 to 65. But afterwards, Tone Loke talked about the performance of Trace Jackson Davis. And we go a little something <laughs> like this. Hit it. My thing is to put him in position to be successful. You know, he's got to finish it. And I thought tonight, you know, we, we went to him. I mean, I rode him. I Pretty much 90 percent of the plays was geared to to get him the ball, and um, I would have been foolish not to do that. I mean, until they actually stopped him, and they didn't do that tonight. He kind of had his way, and, uh, and we kind of played around him. So that was kind of nice. Hey, that was a live audio, right, Mark, from the trip back to Bloomington. Yep. Yeah. 
to lead off there. Uh, Trey Jackson Davis again, outstanding first team All American type. Up in Minneapolis, it was a 7 o'clock tip, 6 o'clock central. Minnesota never showed up. Purdue was absolutely outstanding in that one. Uh, One of the best defensive performances in program history out of the Boilermakers. They held Minnesota to 39 points, 12 in the first half. I believe they said on the telecast that was the tied to fewest Purdue had ever allowed in a first half. Braden Smith, 19 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. As I mentioned earlier, I just get like Kyle Lowry, Villanova guard vibes and watching Braden Smith do a little bit of everything. Purdue now off to their best start in program history. That is 18-1, 7-1 in the Big Ten, 5 of those wins on the road. And they got help from Michigan State last night, considering they already have won in East Lansing. Michigan State beat Rutgers. If Purdue can beat Michigan State at Mackey a week from Sunday, that would do a whole lot to Purdue's pursuit of a Big Ten title. Sorry, my mic. Did you turn my mic off? No, again? I don't touch your mic. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> uh, did you break? Did, is the other mic broken? Did we determine? Uh, yeah, was... Kevin. Kevin is being finger pointed at. It, and I feel like unfairly, we did the entire show yesterday mm-hmm. with this mic working. We also did a couple ad reads after the show with the mic working, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, JMV is saying that I broke it. There's a show between the two. There, there's a midday show, right? And I don't understand why that wasn't involved. In do the, I need to point out the fact that the does that mean that was JMV sitting in this seat yesterday? I don't know. Because I came in and somebody had their computer up. Mm-hmm. Somebody didn't log out. Oh, jeez. Yeah. How'd that history look? Woo! <laughs> well, I, I, I came in and the Google search was all nothing but Green County restaurants and mm-hmm. bars. Yeah. <laughs> What's right. going on? What is going on here? No shock there. Yacht uh, Rock! What do I need to play for the Saturday right. night takeover? Um, R.I.P. David Crosby. Boston Celtics 121-118 over Golden State last night. It was Minnesota over the Raptors. Phoenix over the Brooklyn Nets. And Philly over the Portland Trailblazers, 105-95. All of those games, I'm assuming most of you in Indianapolis are not overly enthralled about. But you might be the fact the Pacers tonight in Denver taking on the Nuggets, 9 o'clock tip. Is tomorrow a scheduled loss for the Pacers? Back-to-back, off the altitude game. Phoenix does not play tonight. They could go climb uh, Camelback. Oh, I've done that. To acclimate after the Denver altitude problem. Yeah, don't know how that would be. Goga carrying, you know. Benedict Matherin on his back. That's right. Hey, we got to keep you healthy for tonight. Uh, we'll get to the NFL divisional schedule a little bit later in the show. Again, two games tomorrow, two games Sunday. Offer some picks on what I think a lot of people believe is the best weekend in the NFL season. Uh, the other big news, somewhat locally, that would be Mike Bray retiring after 23 years at Notre Dame. I didn't realize this until yet. I didn't realize how bad it was. Uh, Notre Dame had not made the tournament, Jake, since 1990. When Mike Bray got there in 01. See, I thought of, you know, Digger Phelps also. I mean, was Digger Phelps, did the end of the Digger Phelps era, yeah, like we talked faded. about with other coaches, just you kind of get to a point, I think, where guys are just, I'm not going to say checked out, but maybe players tune them out. Hell of a run for Mike Bray, but much needed some juice, some life, so he'll retire at the end of this season. Again, some Colts coaching news yesterday. One candidate interviewed, a new name on the list. Anybody standing out? For Jake, and you know what? You hate to say it right now with the Pacers. Uh, we can do a tankathon for them. They are now in the lottery mix with their current standing. This recent slide has put them oh. in to the do lottery. Do you want to do a tankathon right next? So we're going to have to do a tankathon, I think, on the other side. Okay. Of How about break. Matt Ryan joining the. Uh, so that's the CBS? Now. Yeah, CBS crew? Sports. Yeah. He's so gonna... that is what? Bills Bengals lead in on Sunday? Uh-huh. Yep. 
So if you're a Colts fan and you want Matt Ryan to retire, you should cheer for him to be good at TV on Sunday? Yeah, CBS Sports Network's where he'll be on. the That other pregame show is what it's called. So he's not with He's going to be on the NFL Sims today also, but he's, do, he's doing both. So he's going to be on CBS Sports Network and then do the the full the regular NFL Today show. He also. was supposed to do the primary. He was supposed to be the primary studio guy, and then at the last minute the owner of CBS called and said, let's actually put a rookie in front of him, and so they yanked him, and then he got relegated oh, I to see what you're doing there. third string status. What's Nick Foles doing here? <laughs> Sam Ellinger. That's right. This other guy's a little more mobile around the breaks. So let's give him a shot and see what happens. Kevin and Corey on a Friday right here, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hey there, good morning to you on a Friday. Jake Corey along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton spinning the hits this morning, right, Mark? Crosby stills Nash and Young for a David reason. David Crosby passing away uh, yesterday. Actually, I believe on Wednesday, but it was announced yesterday at the age of of 81 a fascinating life obviously um i was reading about just kind of his journey and and the different things the different projects with which he was involved um of course later in life fathered two children uh through artificial <clears throat> insemination but uh, with melissa etheridge i think a, well, that's a name people uh, melissa etheridge by the way um serendipitously a couple of years ago shannon and i went to the state fair and and melissa edwards was playing the free stage and i'm like that that has to be like a tribute band right and then we went um I, i've never been like some diehard fan at, we ended up watching the entire show fabulous entertainer and great singer um but at any rate david crosby passing away uh on a friday good or not, he didn't pass away on a friday but today's a friday so good friday morning to everybody uh, Friday, of course, turns into Saturday, and then on Thursday, Saturday was part of the Colts conversation. By that, I mean yesterday, in fact, Kevin, Jeff Saturday, officially being interviewed, I guess, for the Colts head coaching job. I would assume that was virtual because I think he is still in Georgia. That's kind of irrelevant. But are you surprised that he wasn't like the first one to be interviewed, or do you think they wanted kind no, of for the dust let, to Yeah, let, let him breathe a little bit, let him kind of – Get into the off season, like you said, down in Georgia. It sounded like with some family matters earlier this week. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I put any sort of stock into that. I think the Colts knew that this was going to be a quieter week for interviews. So let's put Saturday into this week, whereas last week, late in the week, it was a let's get to Shane Steichen, knowing that he's the Eagles' offense coordinator and he's going to play a football game after the bye week or coach a football game. After the bye week, same thing with Eric Bieniemy. It was reported yesterday D'Amico Ryans, uh, I believe, might interview the Colts either today or tomorrow, I thought I saw on the report. Obviously, San Francisco plays Sunday. Um, Ryans a very sought-after candidate right now. Um, and then it looks like on Sunday you'll have the Giants coordinators, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale, interview the Giants play the Eagles on Saturday night so uh, you've got five candidates that have not yet interviewed but the Colts have interest in that will all have games this weekend um, again in the first game that would be Chiefs Jags on Saturday Eric Bieniemy is the lone candidate in that game he's already interviewed in the nightcap again Shane Steichen the Eagles OC is already interviewed the Giants duo has not. That would be Kafka and Martindale. Then you look at Sunday. Uh, I'm, are you surprised at all we haven't heard Leslie Frazier's name if you look at the Bills? I am because, Kevin, Leslie Frazier is a name that I had heard like two months ago. Three, but I mean, 
when Jeff Saturday became the interim head coach, the first name that I heard from not anybody within the organization, but people close to it, said, hey, the name that I keep hearing bouncing around is Leslie Frazier, is one that they will inevitably or eventually talk to, and yet that has yet to happen. Former assistant here, interviewed in 2018, the second time around. Again, it was Frank Reich, Dan Campbell, Leslie Frazier. That was the final three that they uh, interviewed after the McDaniels fiasco. Uh, but in that 3 o'clock game, uh, it'll be Frazier's defense going up against you know Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan. So Callahan, the Bengals OC, uh, is the newest name on the list. And then in the nightcap Sunday, both defensive coordinators in that matchup, Dan Quinn, D'Amico Ryans, on the interest list. So, you know, some appointment viewing, I guess, for Colts fans. And, and basically what I think we're at, Jake, is – I think we're kind of nearing halftime of the interview plan schedule whatever you want it to call seems it seems like a I, I don't recall it ever being this many people though the nfl has it is a lot of people i will i will point that out but i think this is the quantity of people is probably a little bit more than the other openings but i don't think you're seeing any sort of rush and it's kind of what the nfl has wanted they want these coaches that are coaching in the playoffs to have a legit chance Whereas Chuck Pagano, again, he didn't get that interview until two days after the AFC Championship game. They now want to start to get a little bit more patience in the process, let these playoff coaches get into the cycle. Basically, where I think we're at is this. You'll get these divisional round coaches either interviewed today, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday. So now you'll kind of be done with the first round of interviews. And I think by this time next week, we start to get into the second interview for some of these candidates. Now, if you're still playing the championship game, you can't do that. We'll have two championship games a week from Sunday. But I think late next week, early the following week, we'll start to get into a little bit more of a finalist uh, point of view. I think the thing that would be a challenge and the thing that I would be looking for if I were Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay when you are looking for a head coach in the National Football League, you are essentially looking for somebody that falls into one of three categories, for the most part. A, they are an existing or previous head coach somewhere. B, they are an offensive coordinator. Or C, they are a defensive coordinator. Now, conventional wisdom would say if you are a team who offense was your Achilles in the previous season – and the reason for a coaching search because things didn't go well, then you would be looking for an offensive-minded head coach. Except for that they just had an offensive-minded head coach who had come from an offensive coordinator background in Frank Reich, and the offense was the issue. And maybe that was because you had too many chefs in the kitchen. Maybe that's because you had a head coach that... I would argue it was only really an issue this past year. I think the first four years... Uh, agreed, but I'm saying, I mean, this year in terms of when everything went awry, that they literally... Their offense was like yeah, historically. B. Arthur trying to run a halfback sweep. I mean, just, you know, it was stagnant, right? And what you have to ask yourself, and I know that the ultimate answer would be, well, I mean, we'd like to see a mix of both. But are you are you looking more for somebody who has the characteristic of being an X's and O's, a Bill Walsh, a Bill Belichick-level tactician, that is a strategist that comes up with game plans that are that lift you to victory? Or 
or you look for somebody who has kind of the humility to allow the two respective coordinators to coach their side of the ball and you simply are somebody that is simply a leader that guys want to play for, which is what a Tony Dungy did, right? I mean, Dungy, don't get me wrong, he had a, he had a thumbprint on things, but – I think ideally you get a little both. Probably like more I said, the latter. I mean, but which – which for me personally, if I was doing – and there's a reason I'm talking on the radio and I'm not over on West 56 in meetings right now, probably. But if it were up to me, I would say I'm looking for the person that, to me, their schematic advantage, to use Charlie Weiss's words, are secondary to me to how good a leader are they that people want to simply play for. We've all had bosses that treat you in such a professional and respectful manner and lead with an example where you're like, I don't want to disappoint that person. That's what Tony Dungy was. And are you looking for that? Or are you looking for somebody that comes in and says, I have the answer on X's and O's and here's how we're going to do it. And, you know, are you looking for Bill Parcells or, or are you looking for just somebody who has a leadership type quality and then designates the X's and O's to coordinators. I would go with the latter. Yeah, it's probably a little bit more the latter, but I don't want to lose oversight of the first part, Jake, because in the NFL, in a league that defines parity, you have to have a sharp advantage schematically X's and O's on a weekly basis. And that is why a guy like Mike Kafka, the Giants OC, is intriguing to me. You look at like Saquon Barkley this year. If you're going to say the Giants are going to make the playoffs, and they're going to win a road game in the playoffs, you would say Saquon Barkley ran for 2,000 yards and had some extraordinary season. Like, he's just been the bell cow. He has been dominant, this and that. I saw something yesterday where Barkley, like, had 20-some carries in seven of the first eight games, you know, heavy dose of them. And over the last two months, I think he's eclipsed that number, like, once. So you've seen an offense evolve. You've seen an offense change. You've seen a group that is not, we're going to do what we do well, and we're going to do it week in and week out. So I think you have to have a little bit of mix of the two things that you lay out. Now, again, I side with the latter, and I thought an issue that Frank Reich had was he was so indebted to the offensive side of the ball, he almost forgot about the rest of the football team. He would probably push back on that, right? but I think that was an issue for him. And I know it's college versus the NFL, but let's go back to the college football semifinal game for a second. Ohio State-Georgia. Unbelievable game. Back and forth. Ohio State runs that fake punt, remember, in the fourth quarter? Right. And they're going to get it. And all of a sudden, you hear the late whistle. And Kirby Smart, who is the CEO, lets his OC, Todd Munkin, do his thing, lets his defensive coordinator do his thing. He oversees the operation. He saw something pre-snap that indicated to him, oh, my gosh, they might fake this. We're not ready for it. And he runs down and takes a timeout split second before that ball is snapped. If that's Frank Reich as the head coach, Jake, there's probably a good chance that Frank Reich is looking at his call sheet, talking with Matt Ryan, Stetson Bennett, whoever, if you want to continue out the, the analogy and say, all right, when we get this ball back here on the punt, oh, wait, did they just fake it? Right. You know, and so I think that's the aspect to Nick Sirianni has adopted this. Even though he's an offensive coach, he gave up play calling duties. Brian Dable at the Giants gave up play calling duties, even though that was their offensive background. I think the expectation was you would do that. So, again, I think it's a little bit of both, but players, I think, also want to walk out of a meeting room and want to get on the field on Sunday and feel like, 
I really like our game plan. Well, that's it. Like I, I, I feel like I we've think, got an advantage schematically, along with I want to play for that. Okay, game. here's you've seen Forrest Gump, right? Oh yeah. The, that the, was me on the Mike Bray news running down the neighborhood. By the way, what's that? Running oh, I, out of I my house. I thought you were Frank I the just Tank. Felt like running. <laughs> but do you remember when Bubba and Forrest first meet Lieutenant Dan? And Forrest says, I hope we don't disappoint him, or something along those lines, right? That was really good. Thank you. Um, but that's the kind of coach I want, is is one that just has a leadership about them where they're not necessarily overly, you know, he, he Lieutenant Dan was not the, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket, right? Was Jeff Saturday more drill sergeant or more I don't want to disappoint the players seem to like a little bit of drill sergeant. I, with Jeff Saturday, I don't know the answer to that. The problem is Jeff Saturday was still in, he was put in a tough spot because he was just the interim and like you know Saturday's biggest problem I think Kevin was that he was airdropped in with a bunch of with like this hodgepodge of coaches that half like were bought in, half weren't, one left. I I mean it just was a he was put into a terrible situation. I'm not defending him, I'm just saying to be fair we do, it's it's a it's apples and oranges because Jeff Saturday was put in a situation where there was no one around that asked for Jeff Saturday or that was expecting is probably a better way of saying it Jeff Saturday whereas you bring in a new head coach he has a meeting at the beginning of the year he's got coordinators that he brought in that want to work for him you might have had guys that that were wondering why they weren't the one that was the interim head coach so i just think oh, that you definitely did you know a bunch of different chefs in the kitchen but i just want a guy that people say I don't want to disappoint that guy as opposed to, man, I, I got to play hard because if not, then then this guy's not going to put me on the field. I See, just I feel like Frank Reich was the disappointment guy. Maybe. I, I think they could be looking for a 180 on that. Reportedly, again, Brian Callahan, Bengals OC, will interview today. That is ahead of Sunday's matchup with the Bills. And then reportedly Dan Quinn, who I know JMV is a big fan of, uh, one of two people on the list that have head coaching experience. He will interview today. Obviously, these are virtual with the Cowboys and the Bengals respectively playing on Sunday, both playing road games. Um, so busy late in the week as a little bit of quiet time as the game plans are set for these respective divisional teams. The travel's happening. They can fit in a little bit of virtual interview here. So thanks picking back up here for the Colts on the head coach interview list. Greg Rakestraw joins us next here. Kevin Corey on a Friday. Hi there. Good morning. It's a Friday. Hope you folks are set for not only a spectacular day today, but getting ready for a fun and or relaxing weekend, productive one, whichever you may be seeking. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, as he does each and every Friday, you of course hear his voice calling a number of different sporting events around the state of Indiana. You could also See his work and efforts on the ISC Sports Network as well as the Colts post-game show during the Colts season. Greg Rakestraw joins us now. Greg, I'm going to begin with this. Yesterday, officially now, Jeff Saturday had his interview for the Colts head coaching position. Do you read into in any way, shape, or form the fact that the season's been over for a while now and they have interviewed a number of candidates and then got to Jeff Saturday? Anything we should read into that? No, and, and this is not some sort of insider scoop. This is always kind of my observation on it. 
but I always thought they would interview virtually everybody else and give Jeff kind of like the last look. Um, and, and that's not an, oh, by the way, let's give him a conversation. It is, we know the most about you. Let's bring in all of these candidates. You will get your interview. To me, I think Jeff being interviewed signifies that this process, at least from an interview standpoint, is about to come to an end. I think we'll have a decision on the next head Colts, the next head coach of the Colts at some point in time, I would say next week. Now, the other question, somebody pointed this out to me. I thought it was a fair question. Do you read into at all the fact that they interviewed Jeff Saturday and then presumably after they interviewed him, then requested permission for more candidates a la Callahan in Cincinnati? Um, I, it's, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. They have gone through so many people at this point um, that you would think they've got a pretty good list put together. So not sure what to make of that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I don't think I put too much into that. I understand what the timing looked like there on that, but I don't put too much into that. Uh, Ray kind of shifting gears a little bit here. And again, Greg Rakestraw with us, ISC Sports Network. Um, it looked like you almost had a Jags victory last night there for a minute. Ah, uh, came awfully close. And it's a situation IUPUI has not been in a lot the last couple of years. They're up three, and the opponent has the ball. They elected not to foul and the hometown kid sticks him. So Jalen Moore from Cloverdale grew up in the Indianapolis area. I knew I recognized um, that name. Yeah, it hit one from 30. The only three that Oakland made the entire second half to send it to overtime, then Oakland wins it in overtime. So, and Oakland is, is, is a mid-level, upper-half team in our league, which shows that if, again, IUPUI can play well, there's not that big of a difference, say, 1 through 11 in our league, but uh, but disappointing because things have kind of been headed in the other direction. Uh, you know, they had lost two of their last three games by 30 or more points, so it's great to see them be more competitive, but knowing how tough it has been to get W's and knowing they haven't won a home league game in, in the last two years, it would have been awful nice to see that one go the other direction last night. Rick, obviously some of the big news in college basketball yesterday, Mike Bray retiring after – um, a hell of a run over a couple decades there across two conferences in the Big East and ACC. Um, I, I I don't think it's a good job. I, I, I don't know if that's how it's viewed around college basketball, but let me uh, throw you into an advisor role. If you were the advisor to Michael Lewis and Notre Dame called Michael Lewis, what would you tell him? Uh, take the job. Uh, and, and Mike Bray has made that a significantly better job than obviously it was when he got there. And, and it's probably time for, for, for Mike to, to move on, and, and I would assume television would be in his future at, at some level because he is that good of a personality and, and genuinely a good guy by all that have come, come across him. Uh, and, and I've had limited dealings with him over the years, but, but they, they've all been great. But again, for the wonderful work he's done to get that program to where it is, probably time to, to go in a different direction. But because of their status in the ACC, because of the resources that they have, Mike has made that, um, if not a top 10 to 15 job in the country, really? I think it's a top 20 to 30 job in the country, and, and that's a far cry from what it was. Gosh, Rick, I wish I had that optimism. I think the fan base is horrible and the facilities are mediocre, and I think it's tough to s sustain in the ACC. You're selling the University of Notre Dame. And, yes, I know you've got a very competitive conference 
But as much as, again, it has become tougher and tougher to sustain success at the mid-major level, and so much of the NCAA tournament is teams from those power conferences, you can win there. And, and, and I think you can win there quickly, and you can do it at that institution. So based off, and this is my last one, the Notre Dame front, hell, I could talk about it for two hours, but we wouldn't have any listeners, so I don't want to go down this path too much longer. But based off that answer, the other name I was going to throw at you that has Indy ties and has some South Bend ties is Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State. What would be your advice if Notre Dame came calling there? Uh, I would run to that job if I were Micah, uh, because Penn State is a place that is very difficult to win and obviously, you talk about facilities and, and differences and, and things like that. Um, you know, the weather this time of year in State College, Pennsylvania, and South Bend, Indiana, I don't think is all that different. But I still think it's a different ask if you're recruiting young men to play at the University of Notre Dame versus playing at Penn State. Um, I would, I, to me, Mike is a guy that should be very, very high on their list. Yeah, I would say Penn State and Notre Dame are similar jobs in some extent, Greg, in the fact that Notre Dame clearly has a, a richer basketball tradition than does Penn mm-hmm. State. Um, a lot of the drawbacks are the equivalent of the two. To me, the tiebreaker would be that Notre Dame is in an area that is easier to recruit to because you can go into, you know, there are a lot of good high school players and they're great high school players in the Pittsburgh, Philly area, don't get me wrong, but State College just feels like it's more of an outpost than does get, getting people to South Bend. Absolutely. I mean, you can live, and obviously what Notre Dame has done and what Mike has done is been, you know, get great Catholic school kids from all across the country. But at Notre Dame, you can set up shop, Chicago suburbs, Indianapolis, Cleveland, get kids out of the state of Michigan, which you really haven't done a lot of. Um, but the other thing that, 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 again, everybody has access to now, uh, and, and I don't think Notre Dame's academics are going to stand in the way of this, given the amount of transfers that Mike Bray has brought in previously, is you can hit the transfer portal. And as long as, as, as it's kids that are in good academic standing, uh, again, that is an easy pitch to come play at the University of Notre Dame and to play in the ACC against some of the best competition in the country. Rick, I know you saw him at the Hall of Fame Classic, um, and this has some relevance, I think, around the state, so I'll, I guess I'll lie and continue on the Notre Dame path here for just a second. But Marcus Burton from Penn sure. um, is arguably the big t- or the Mr. Basketball favorite here and is committed to Notre Dame. Anytime you have a coaching change, of course, I would say that recruit's phone is blowing up a bit. Uh, Purdue's got Braden Smith, obviously. Indiana's got a point guard from Ohio coming in next year. Uh, would it make sense at all for Indiana or Purdue or a Butler to get involved with Marcus Burton? A Butler, maybe, um, just because I think there's more of an immediate need there. You know, Marcus is going to have to play the point guard spot. You know, I think at, at, at the larger level, he does a lot of playing off of the ball because he is a guy that is, is so speedy and can create his own chances. He's just a good ball player. You know, you'll find a place for him. You know, it's a little bit different when the kid is from the school's backyard. Uh, in terms of the allure of playing there. Um, But does another coach potentially view him differently? Possibly. Um, Again, he's a talented player. Purdue's got enough of a logjam of of current recruits. You know, you mentioned, obviously, Lawyer and Smith. We got Miles Colvin following those guys up. So I don't know if there's room at the end for at Purdue. 
In terms of Indiana, again, you know, what is Jalen Huchifino going to do? You've got Gabe Cups coming in. Maybe Indiana is more of a possibility. But, again, I, I, I think if Marcus Burton's from anywhere else other than literally from the shadows of the campus, maybe this is more of a conversation. I'd really be surprised if he doesn't end up staying at home and still going to Notre Dame. You know what's fascinating to me, Greg? Greg Gregstraw is our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. I, Jalen Hood Shafino, and I don't put a lot of stock into like mock drafts and that kind of thing, but it does give you an idea of what national perspectives are of players. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hood Shafino came in as a top flight, you know, highly touted recruit. He's got good size, he's obviously got good quickness. And his outside shot's been a little erratic, but I think he is really showing himself here. And I'm fascinated because I don't see his name anywhere in like mock drafts, but yet I've talked to people that are like, no, he's probably playing his way now into the first round. But for whatever reason, I don't see a lot of discussion of that. But it does feel like, and I don't know the young man at all, but Greg, you tell me if I'm wrong, it feels like he's a guy that came to Indiana with sights on getting to the league as quick as he could get there because he came in with that kind of a pedigree. Sure, absolutely. And and once you are labeled as such in high school, you almost have to play your way out of that. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that he is doing that. The other thing I would say is this, is that, you know, we talk about, you know, kind of that, that, that player pool at Purdue, and they are doing something that seemingly – Nobody else has the capability of doing these days in college basketball, and that is recruit, you know, four- and five-year guys, and, and by God, they, they're even redshirting people up there. You know, who does that these days to guys that, are, that could be, you know, top-end-of-the-roster players? I would almost argue that every college coach these days, whether a kid's thinking about the NBA or not, you are recruiting your roster for one year because there is such movement, there is such fluidity, that, you know, whether it's NBA or playing elsewhere, you know, you know what your team looks like a year from now could be completely different from the group you got playing for you right now. And he's Greg Rankstraw. He's with us here on the ISC, from the ISC Sports Network, um, courtesy of the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, uh, I saw Ben Davis from a boys' basketball standpoint. Their name's been thrown around in some national rankings. I could be totally yep. wrong. On the, on the comparison, I've only seen just highlights of them a couple times. It almost seems like this team is a little bit reminiscent of like those David Bell, Warren Central teams. Of not, nailed it. Okay, not like a super high major talent, but just so solid and, and quality depth. Been saying that for the last month. That's exactly what they are. Um, they're probably a little bit deeper than that Warren Central team. Obviously, with Dowdy, they've got more size than that Warren Central team. You know, that, that team from five years ago, obviously David Bell is playing in, in the NFL. I, I do think he could have been a role player at Purdue. I really, he was that good of a basketball player. But Dean Tate ended up at Purdue Northwest. Antoine Cushingberry's at St. Francis. Jacoby Robinson uh, and uh, Jesse Bingham. Jack Jesse just scored a thousand point at UND in his second year there. Um, you've got the guys that kind of came after them that, that got a little time, like Malik Stanley, Sean Black. Uh, that, that I know Malik's playing at the University of Tampa uh, at, at this point. So a lot is really high-end division to an NAI kids. This Ben Davis team, frankly, is a little higher level of recruit. Dowdy's going to play at Valparaiso. Uh, Sheridan Sharp is not going to Nickel State. Um, you know, the Zachary kid is going to be a Division One football kid, but he's playing so well in basketball. 
Maybe that door is open. And, again, he's got two more years. He's a sophomore. You've got the other two senior starters that are both Division II players. Um, K.J. Windham, who's not coming off the bench. I think he's probably a Division I recruit. He is just a junior. Uh, but, but it is a very apropos comparison. Um, Zane Dowdy's their leading scorer. He averages about 13 points a game. He had four in the county championship against Lawrence North, and they won by 22. Kind of tells you all you need to know about that group. It doesn't have to be from one specific player. Dowdy's the one kid that they can't replicate who has now become the all-time leading rebounder at, at Ben Davis High School. And that statement's a mouthful given the players that have played there over the years. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's a pretty remarkable group, one through eight, one through nine. And I'm not sure anybody in the state's got a matchup for them this year. By the way, I came up with – Here's my list of jobs that I think are definitively better jobs than Notre Dame. Ah, oh, jeez. You salt, ready? Salt in the wounds here. Greg, let me read this to you and then, and we won't go too far into it, but let me read this to you and then once I'm done, you tell me if there's any that jumps out at you where you go, Jake, you're crazy. I want to give okay, Rake a hug yeah. after saying Notre Dame's a top 20 job. Indiana, Louisville, this is no particular order, by the way. Indiana, Louisville, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, UCLA, Arizona, Michigan State, Illinois, Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan, Virginia, Arkansas, Texas, and Connecticut. Arkansas and Virginia, I think, would be on par with them, but your list is pretty good. And UCLA, obviously you're recruiting kids to Los Angeles. We don't know what the impact of them playing in the Big Ten is going to be. That's a good point. Or hurt their recruiting. Right. So I, I, w- I would put that off to the side a little bit right now. Tom Crane to Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I, probably not. Again, just – Don't they need a little life? Don't they need a little energy? Given how bad the Georgia stint went for Tom, no. I, I, I think if Tom wants to get back into coaching, uh, I think it's going to be more at a at a mid-major level – than it would be at a at a major conference level, to be to be frank. All right, the weekend slate for you, Rake. I assume the pairing show for the girls coming up on Sunday will be part of your schedule. That is correct. So Lawrence North North Central tonight, IUPUI tomorrow afternoon against Antoine Davis and Mike Davis and Detroit Mercy, and then tomorrow night, Carmel and Brownsburg, and Brownsburg checks in at number three in the polls this week. Antoine just set the record, right? Most threes in NCAA history. Correct. And again, this is, I'm happy for the kid and I'm happy for anybody that went through the COVID year that they get extra time. This is his fifth full ish season because really, I don't know how many games like IUPUI that year played 18. I'm assuming Detroit Mercy played about 24, 25 uh, that season uh, in, in 2021. But yes, he is one of the most prolific scorers in the history of college basketball. He also gets the benefit of playing something close to five full seasons. He so also a bit of an asterisk with that, and a and a phenomenal shooter, phenomenal score. Don't get me wrong, but Greg, we've all been like driving somewhere early in the morning, and there's some jogger that's got on like some bright neon green outfit so that you can see them while they're jogging in the dark. Uh, that's he doesn't have a green light. He's got like a fluorescent green, <laughs> see it from ten miles away light, right? He may be attempting shots for tomorrow's games right now, <laughs> to, your, to your point. So, again, he is phenomenal to watch. So I'm not trying to say anything negative about the kid. He is a wonderful talent, and it's so cool. You know, it's, it's, it's almost, not, with, not without the conference tournament success or the NCAA legacy yet, 
was very similar to a guy like Bryce Drew that said, you know what, I'm going to play at a slightly smaller level so I can play for my dad. Antoine is doing that because clearly how he has played, even if you question his size and his skill set, you know, as a at going into high school or going into college, now you got two or three years of examples. You know, he could easily be playing at a higher level, but he's not. He's chosen to stay and play at home for his dad. And there's something that I really have a great deal of admiration for that. Rank, enjoy uh, all of that on the weekend schedule, and we'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks, fellas. That's Greg Rakestraw right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He brought up David Bell earlier. I checked David Bell's rookie stats. 16 games played for the Browns, 24 catches for 214 yards. Played a decent amount offensively. Played some special teams as well. Of course, Cleveland uh, with that quarterback change. But that was the rookie year for the third-round pick. Is that right for David Bell? Does that sound right? That does sound right. I saw a – the Browns put out a video the other day where they asked all of the different players who's the most famous person in your phone contact list. Did you see that? No. I, I did not, no. Mm-mm. Was David Bell in it? David Bell was in the video, and they're like, who's the most famous person in your contact list? And he's like, I don't know, Miles Garrett? <laughs> like Everybody else was like, Beyonce, Jay-Z. He's like, I don't know, Miles Garrett? And I'm like, that's that's a young guy for you, mm-hmm. right? Miles Garrett, I guess, is pretty famous. I have a name for you for the Notre Dame coaching search. Oh, will I like it? Cal? Calipari? Rick Pitino? I think that you will roll your eyes at it, and then when you really crunch the numbers, you'll go, that fits in multiple ways. Interesting. Now, is this a tease, or are you going to give me this name right now so I can react to it? Well, I'd like to tell you right now, but we're going to have to do it in like 15 minutes because we got to get to a morning check. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Ball State is in action tonight, taking on Kent State on the road. Last night in college basketball, Purdue, the number three ranked team in the land, 61-39 over Minnesota. The good news for Purdue, aside from a dominating performance, is the fact, let's be honest, Kevin, that they did it, and maybe every team needs something like this where – they only get 12 from Zach Eady, so they need play elsewhere. Braden Smith with 19. Um, good for Purdue to get a win like that where they weren't as reliant on their big man. And honestly, one of the best defensive performances in program history. Uh, Alan Karpik had this note. It's the lowest total, 39 points allowed by Purdue in a road game since 1944. They allowed 12 in the first half last night. By the way, 1944, that was Chicago. That was the opponent there. And you said they left the Big Ten angrily a couple years later. <laughs> 1946. They're like, that's it. We're out of here. They, yeah. they did away with football in 1933. So I bet the Big Ten was like, why do we have these guys in the league? They I don't even play football. Newt Rockney had Chicago's number there for a few years. This is not going to get us into the BCS. On the we got to get rid of these guys. Uh, Braden Smith outstanding last night. 19-7-7 and again. Kyle Lowry vibes on that front. Uh, do you know how Chicago, the University of Chicago, you know how they used to prepare for games? With game film, they just put it on a loop. Okay. Uh, Indiana, 80-65 over Illinois last night. Trace Jackson Davis. In my Davis, opinion, that sucked. 35. That was like Brad Underwood guarding Trace Jackson, trying to have a game plan for Trace Jackson Davis. Well, here was the key. Illinois decided, strangely, to not double-team Trace Jackson Davis. Good point, Kevin. But and not after he was like 9 of 9 either. And what Indiana is getting now, and, and much relieved, and kudos to him. Jordan Geronimo, with Race Thompson not being out there, is really starting to show – 
why there was a lot of promise about him, and he is becoming a nice front court complimentary piece. And much needed, obviously, with the Ray Thompson injury. But yeah, Trace Jackson Davis last night, that was a first-team All-American type of performance. 35-9-5. and five. Here was Mike Woodson afterwards on Trace. Mark, what are we doing My here? My thing is Thank to you. put him in position to be successful. You know, he's got to finish it. And I thought tonight, you know, we, we went to him. I mean, I rode him. I pretty much 90, 80%, 90% of the plays was geared to, to get him the ball. And um, I would have been foolish not to do that, I mean, until they actually stopped him. And they didn't do that tonight. He kind of had his way, and, uh, and we kind of played around him. So that was kind of nice. He always cold with me. That was the uh, live shot there from the bus ride to the Champaign Airport. (laughs) That's right. Um, I'll be super interested to see how Tom Izzo defends Trace Jackson Davis on Sunday again. Izzo, similar to Brad Underwood. Well, he won't be doing it. He'll assign guys. Sure, that probably wouldn't look too too good. Maybe his son, who got in the other (laughs) night, can can front Trace Jackson Davis. But again, Izzo likes to do kind of the the single matchups with big guys, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. Credit to Mike Woodson last night, Jake. They were down 4-0. He took a timeout, and I kind of looked up like, wait, what? I mean, you typically don't see the timeout till whatever, 7-0, 9-0, something like that. He took it early, and then after that, Indiana went on a 12-0 run and really controlled the game by double figures the rest of the way. I thought it was one of the best performances in the Mike Woodson era. Um, speaking of good performances, the Pacers are hoping for exactly that tonight. They are on the road taking on the Denver – thank you, Mark. Taking on the Denver Nuggets, and then – uh, off to Phoenix before finally returning home. Denver's really good. Denver is really good. And Phoenix is not as good as you Correct. would think. Yeah, Denver's won 10 of 11, 15 straight at home. Phoenix has lost 9 of 10. Uh, so Nikola Jokic tonight, no back-to-back for Denver and no back-to-back for Phoenix. Tomorrow night, the Pacers will have the back-to-back, their final 9 o'clock tips of the year. You want to uh, queue up the old Tankathon? Oh, yeah, let me do that here. So the Pacers right now, ninth in the East, which means they'd have to win two play-in games to get into the bracket. So as of now, they are the final lottery team. They have not been in that position in quite a while. Okay, here we go. Um, Let's see. I've got to do the simulated lottery. Oh, this doesn't have the picks yet, though, I don't think. Hang on. Um, Oh, here here we go. This is not your homepage? No, no, I I have it. Uh, Here we go. Um... Now, that is the NFL and the NBA. Mm-hmm. With yep. the 14th pick. Oh, we d- didn't move up at all? And the 2024 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Anthony Black from the University of Arkansas. Would you like me to do one more? Yeah, see, do, the Pacer, do the Colts one, too. You might as well do Colts. No, we're just tanking all over the place right yeah. now. They, You know what? This must not be updated because it's it just keeps putting Indiana at 14. Well, I mean, the odds are so bad that I right. think you're, you're likely to stay at 14. But, yeah, that's where the Pacers are. Oh, wait are. a minute. They have, they have a second pick. They have a second pick in the round. Oh, they we got three. Two more. Two more. You ready? Yeah, we got three total. With the 24th pick in the 2024 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Dylan Mitchell from the University of Texas. And then 30th, a guy that we saw last night. Coleman Hawkins from the University of Illinois. Well, he was gunning. He was gunning. And as Tony East mentioned to us a few weeks back, if Houston finishes with the worst or the second worst record in the league, 
the Pacers would get the first pick in the second round for a second straight year. So they could be looking at four picks in the first 30. I'm round. telling you, none of these mock drafts have Jalen Hood, Shafino, and, and I thought you were saying that you started to see him in some of these mocks. No, Trace Jackson Davis I have, but Jalen Hood, Shafino, I've not seen. Like right now, I'm looking at the Tankathon big board, okay? It has Trace Jackson Davis 50th. Yeah, I see him right here, 51st. And, and it they got doesn't Zach list. Edie going 60th. It doesn't list Hood Shafino anywhere. And, and, like, I don't know. I'm telling you, like, I've talked to people in the NBA that have said, yeah, he's probably played his way at this point into the first round. Like, maybe they're just assuming that he there's no way he comes back. But that just seems. Have you seen this um, Grady Dick at Kansas? Yeah, uh, yeah. The watched freshman? Him, yeah, I watched him uh, a couple times this year. Man, he's a good player. Where do they got him? 11th. He's a really good player, though. He can shoot. He's active. He's six seven. Yeah, pretty athletic. Yeah. So this other mock draft site has Jalen Hood Shafino going to the Pacers at twenty four. Uh, see that that's in the ballpark. I'd be to I mean, the Pacers guess have a little bit of a logjam in the backcourt. I'd be totally good with that. Yeah, I, th that's, I think he'll be a nice player. Yeah. Uh, we'll look at the NFL divisional schedule coming up. The one seed Saturday that would be Kansas City and Philly, and the two really I think marquee games: Bills and Bengals, Cowboys, Forty ers on Sunday. The Colts. Uh, reportedly have a couple of head coaching interviews today. We'll touch on those names when we come back. And, Jake, you said you're going to throw the uh, Notre Dame yep. candidate name at yep. me? Yep, I got a name for you. Any hints? Um, Kind of connected to the guy leaving. God, I swear, if it's a Delaware product, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> it's Spencer Dunkley. Oh it's me, actually, the honorary blue hen. Yeah, can't yeah. wait for that one. Um, We'll be back. Kevin Court. Kevin, here we go in terms of, and I realize, look. This might be my most anticipated segment in the history of the show. <laughs> I realize that Notre Dame basketball is not necessarily the needle pusher, so thank you for those who have humored us this morning. Uh, we've talked plenty about the Colts coaching search. Jeff Saturday was interviewed yesterday. The Colts have also requested permission to talk to Brian Callahan, the offensive Sounds coordinator like that's happen of the today. Cincinnati Bengals. Him and Dan Quinn today. Uh, Dan Quinn is one that we could discuss, too. I heard JMB kind of hyping him up yesterday my buddy Chiefs fan Steve said why aren't you guys talking a lot about Dan Quinn is Chiefs fan Steve a Chiefs fan yes okay thus the name I'm glad he said he's that. also the adopter of Milton the coolest rescue dog in Indianapolis mm -hmm. not named Joey or Kobe Walsh okay um I got something Dan Quinn related I want to get to after again my favorite Jake comment in the history of the show about this so this happen. is the guy that I would take a hard look towards Notre Dame bringing in because I do think at Notre Dame there is a little bit of a different standard and and I I have always felt like in football they they overhype that you know well they have different admission standards and da, da 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 but in basketball in particular there probably are you probably are dealing with a little bit of a different pool of of just player that you're bringing in how about a guy that is currently in his third stop? His first job was at a big program. He was there for four years, and he won 56% of his games. Went to a Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. So he went to a second job in a slightly higher-profile program where he lasted six years. He won 20 games in three of those six he won 57% of his games, but did not make the NCAA tournament. 
So he stepped back into the job that he currently holds where he has been now for, looks like, 14 years. Oh, jeez. How old is this dude? He has been to the NCAA tournament. He went to the NCAA tournament, as a matter of fact, uh, five straight years, including two kind of upset wins because it's a smaller school. Overall record is 451 wins and 295 losses. And you said there's a Mike Bray connection to it? He has a similar Duke background? Yes. Tommy Amaker. Hmm. Now, the other name that I thought of would be Johnny Dawkins. Yeah, you're you're in the Duke. Someone mentioned Chris Collins. I don't know that you would. Well, I think Northwestern to Notre Dame is a lateral movement. I can't believe Rake said Notre Dame's a top 20 job. Wants me to, I want to drive to Rake's house and give him a hug and talk to him about it more. You mentioned Oregon. That would also be, so that that gets, I mean, literally off the I top mean, of my head. just find some big old NIL and here's booster the thing. money. I totally disagree with Greg, with all due respect, about Virginia and Arkansas when he said that they're on par. Arkansas. Money Muscleman's probably got. Uh, and Arkansas. Arkansas, you have a lot looser standards of which to bring players in, right? I mean, in Arkansas and Virginia both have been upper echelon nationally competitive within the last 20 years. I mean, you know, Virginia's won a national title. It's in it's a top program in a top league, the same league that Notre Dame's in. But again, the names, the schools that we came up with, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There's 18 of them right there. And that's without getting into the nuances of, you know, the Xaviers and the Daytons and the the Floridas of the world. John Beeline? Chris Quinn? Former John Notre Beeline Dame is really intriguing. The problem is, John Beeline, you're going to be right back at it again in five years, right? Sure. Let's bring Muffin McGraw in there. Hell of a run. I do think Mike Price should go into Notre Dame Spring of Honor. I do think he had that type of run. There. Uh, James Boy going to join us at the top there to talk more about the Colts head coaching search. Again, as we mentioned, reportedly it'll be Brian Callahan, the Bengals OC. He has got probably the most decorated quarterback background of any candidate so far. He's currently, obviously, with Joe Burrow, uh, but does not call the plays there. Um, but you obviously look at history with Peyton Manning, history with Matthew Stafford, history with Derek Carr. And then the other reported name interviewing today is Dan Quinn from the Cowboys. Jake, any defensive hire, we've talked about this, the biggest question, in my opinion, will be what are you doing offensively and how do you sustain that offensive continuity when your offensive coordinator leaves if you have success? Dan Quinn is probably the perfect example of that. He goes to Atlanta in what year would that have been? 2015, 2016? Does that sound right? Well, he has – I'm going to look up his coaching record. You know, I was listening to JMV, and I, I liked what John had to say. He was like, you know, you can joke all you want that Dan Quinn was the head coach of Atlanta during the, the famous collapse, except for that he was there, wasn't he? I mean, he got to the Super Bowl, right? And he's been there. He knows – I do think that being a head coach, just in terms of the time you got to put in, the 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 egos you've got to massage, the meetings you've got to coordinate, there's just so much that goes into it that I think having a guy that's been through that, it depends. I mean, if you – here's the question, Kevin, that I think the Colts need to ask themselves. Can we focus on Quinn for just a second? Yeah. 
Okay, Quinn. Eight and eight, eleven and five, ten and six his first three years. The eleven and five season, Jake, was the Super Bowl year. After that ten and six season, Kyle Shanahan leaves. He's running the offensive show in Atlanta. He leaves to take the job with the San Francisco 49ers. After the departure of Kyle Shanahan, Dan Quinn went 14-23 and 23 as a head coach and got fired. That, to me, is the question you will have with all of these defensive candidates. What happens when you lose that continuity on the side of the ball offensively? And maybe Dan Quinn will look at that and say, I've learned from it, I need to have a better plan offensively, et cetera, et cetera. Or you could look at it and say Kyle Shanahan was the one that was really spearheading Atlanta's high level of success they had in his first couple seasons. Because defensively with the Falcons, Dan Quinn did not have a ton of success, which is, again, his calling card. So with Dan Quinn, this is the way I look at it. It's not unlike quarterback. If you are hiring a head coach, Kevin, you've got to determine whether or not which way you are going. Are you hiring a head coach that you're bringing in on the ground floor and rebuilding all the way up? Or are you bringing in a head coach because you feel like you might be a head coach away? And I think it's a former. Because Chuck Pagano, for example, when Chuck Pagano was hired, new quarterback, new everything, new yeah, general manager. Together. So, you know, hey, we're, we're getting a guy who's never been a head coach, but it's because we are all diving into this pool together. And right now, the Colts have to ask themselves, do they feel like they are a player or two and a coach away, or is this a rebuild? If 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 it's a, look, we're bringing in a new quarterback that's going to be a rookie and we're going to kind of overhaul things, then maybe you do go out and get a young, energetic coach that is getting his first opportunity and everybody, you water the plant all across the board together. But if you feel like, hey, listen, this team's ready to go. We just need a quarterback to have a year of experience and a coach to guide him through it that that knows how to get teams to the top. Then maybe you go with somebody who has vast head coaching experience. But that's it, what they've got to ask themselves, where they think they are in this process. That's a tad wishful thinking. I'm not saying that's accurate. I'm saying they have to ask themselves which is applicable to them. Something to keep in mind with these offensive coaches. Brought this up when Eric Bieniemy interviewed last Friday, Jake. In Bieniemy's case and Brian Callahan's case, they're not viewed as like the main offensive mind in their respective teams. Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Bengals, Andy Reid, the head coach of the Chiefs, are viewed as that with Mahomes and Burrow, of course. So I think there's a question. Maybe it's a long shot. But I think there's a question of if you hire a defensive-minded coach, would a Brian Callahan or an Eric Bieniemy say, you know what, Indianapolis? I'd like to come there. I'd like to run the show offensively. I'd like to be the main offensive mind. I'd like to call the plays. I'd like to come there and be the offensive coordinator, and then maybe other NFL teams would look at me differently as a candidate. Clearly something isn't working for Eric Bieniemy and Kansas City. Right. So would he opt for that? In Callahan's case, he's still in his 30s. I mean, he's very young. His dad, of course, NFL, longtime NFL head coach. So maybe he doesn't necessarily view him his resume currently in that same light. But I do think that is something 
to keep in mind. Is it unfair of me that when I hear Callahan and the fact that Callahan's dad was in coaching and I can't get past Tommy Boy? <laughs> is that unfair? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I like actually, you know what I mean? That's, like that's rather rather understood. Was Bill Callahan a good football coach? That's a good question also. God, I forgot about the Nebraska stuff. I mean, the Nebraska thing. I think he was thought of as kind of a, a an offensive savant, right? Man, I forgot he was in the Super Bowl with the Raiders. Yeah, of course. Got beat by John Gruden, right? So he left there and went straight to Nebraska? Now, that segues into a whole different topic, as we've discussed a thousand times. I know it's such a dead horse that it's actually Elmer's glue at this point, but Nebraska football and their journey to find the next head coach, is that not Indiana basketball to a T? Yeah, we, you and I went down this road. I, I don't know if that's apples to apples. Dude, tell me where it's not. I feel like Nebraska hasn't even sniffed what Indiana has. You know, Indiana won a Big Ten a couple times with Crean. Nebraska is, isn't even close. Well, okay, but what From I'm saying is. success standpoint. But both of them, both of them are programs that had success like in the 40s and 50s and and national claim that then people forgot about because through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they had the same consistent, beloved state figurehead coach that was like the CEO of the whole thing, and they became the state brand and the most beloved sports team within their state for that entire time. And then once those coaches left, they have been – looking for the re- the exact replacement and gone several different ways of thinking like this is the guy this is no this is the guy now here now actually we got it right this time and then finally went back to a former player who was a popular guy hoping that that could be what galvanized the fan base you saw what happened with Scott Frost not saying that's happening with Mike Woodson but now you know Nebraska finally has to make a move and get a guy back in again and go into the professional ranks again, you know, we'll see what happens. But the in terms of the enthusiast, I guess more so just in terms of the enthusiastic level of a passionate fan base that still considers it to be a top five program, but people outside of the area would say, yeah, it was one, it once was, but it's not anymore. Speaking of the Big Ten West, Mike Kafka, the Giants OC, played at Northwestern. He was Patrick Mahomes' position coach from 2018 to 2021. There's a year on his resume, Jake, that I think is really interesting. In 2017, that would have been Mahomes' kind of redshirt year. Remember how he sat yep. behind Alex Smith that first year? Kafka was the offensive quality control coach, and I know it's a title. It's like, what the hell does that even mean? I think a lot of teams, and the Colts are one of those teams that kind of operated this way. Oftentimes, your offensive quality control coach part of their job responsibilities or duties is you need to come up with a weekly plan to help develop our young quarterback because your main position coach, of course, and I think it was Matt Nagy, if I'm not mistaken, then they need to work with Alex Smith. They need to work with the guy that's actually playing on Sundays. So you kind of put a low or lower level assistant in charge of the, all right, how do we get the rookie quarterback that needs development you know, whatever, mental reps, film stuff, etc. Kafka was a huge part of that in 2017. Nagy, of course, goes to Chicago. Andy Reid promotes him to be the main position coach for Mahomes, and the rest is history. Like, Patrick Mahomes went from playing 
one game as a rookie to the NFL MVP in the second year. That's pretty darn impressive. It is, but... And it's not... The biggest knock on him coming out of Texas Tech was you can't replicate that that system. He's got so much you know, fine-tuning and refining and all of this. Mahomes is a wonderful talent. But I do think Kafka deserves some credit there and what he was able to do. I think one of the things that they have to then ask themselves is, and this is where, and this is totally unfair to Kafka, but I, a Chris Ballard would know this. A Jim Mercer would know this. Guys that, you know, are in, in and around it all the time seemingly would know this. And that is, are there certain players that it didn't matter who the position coach was, they were going to be great players? Sure. And sure. do you get... But you know, it wasn't Mahomes not even thought of that entering the draft, though? I recall... Here's what I recall about Mahomes in the draft. I mean, hell, he didn't even go in the first 10 picks. Mahomes in the draft, to me, was one that... I just recall this. That was the first time I'd ever heard the term arm talent. And leading into the draft, and it might have been during the combine, and I always poo-poo the combine, but I guess this would show the the merits of the combine. I just remember all of a sudden it was like, hey, have you heard? Because I was, at the time, he was in the Deshaun Watson draft, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Trubisky. And I was a big fan of Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson because I'd watched him every game. And obviously I know what has taken place with Deshaun Watson. But from a football standpoint, I'm looking to see where Deshaun Watson goes, so I'm looking at the other quarterbacks that are in that draft. And I remember Trubisky in particular because I'd watched Clemson a lot against North Carolina, and I'm like, really? I, I mean, okay. I, I, was, I was very confused by the Trubisky thing. But then all of a sudden, like this tidal wave, like literally it was just like out of nowhere the last month before the draft, it's like they, everybody's talking about this kid at Texas Tech. He's like super athletic, and he's got whatever arm talent is. I don't even know what arm talent is, but he apparently has it. And and they draft him, and I'm like, okay. And then, boom, he takes the field. And, I mean, it was like Robin Williams at the comedy store. All of a sudden, it's like, ah, where did this come from? This is a whole different level. So I don't know how much of that is Mahomes and how much of that's coaching, but you know, that's up for people who understand and determine those things to be able to discern. Let's talk more about this. James Boyd coming up. In about 10 minutes, a couple of other names thrown. I, I think this is just such a great show. We're building this list here for Jack Swarbrick, <laughs> the AD at Notre Dame. Michael goes with Porter Moser. Of course, Loyola, Chicago, Oklahoma. It's uh, not a bad one. Pat and Anthony, like uh, Chris Mack. Oklahoma might also be a better job than Notre Dame. Put that down. Chris Mack, after what happened at Louisville? Yeah, I mean, Chris Mack seems shady. I don't know. Sean's going with Steve Alford. That's not terrible. I mean, I absolutely grew up there. There's no, I mean, Steve Alford, you kidding me? Like, Is the phrase, that's not terrible, the compliment you want to hear as a fan? It's good friend Hoiberg over there. Oh, jeez. Mark. What? Nebraska stinks. I know. Well, you said Notre Dame stinks. Again, I'll, I'm all for, let's get Muffin McGraw out of retirement. See those crowds of the women this program gets? Let's get Rick Patino. If you really want to win. Nice South Bend establishments for Rick. Oh, this is awkward. Venture to. Knows the conference very well. Yeah. You guys seem skeptical. It's a lot of baggage. You want to win? 
Let's win. I mean, look at Xavier. They got Sean Miller. They're not too worried about it. They're top 15 yeah, you're program right. right you're now. You're right. Uh, James Boyd in 10 minutes. Kevin Corey. Uh James Boyd going to join us at the top of the hour. Quick question for you, uh, either one of you guys. When's the last time you went to a movie in the theater? I think Maddie and I saw Top Gun. Was it last year? Yeah. Last year. Ashley and I, and usually with kids, it's pretty hard, but Ashley and I saw Jackass Forever back in last February. <laughs> Top Gun. Date that night. Would be, that would be a hard movie to take kids My daughters to, yes. were like, hey, my, my parents are like, can we watch the, the girls? I'm like, yeah, we'll go out to see a movie and dinner. What'd you see? Jackass Forever. <laughs> There's This looks actually pretty good. Um, we almost went l- last week to Glendale. Here's a movie called The Whale. With I, like I really want to see theater. that. The Whale looks pretty good. Um, but Can Can which is a, a cool theater here in town. On February 1st, um, my friend Dan Wakefield wrote a book called Going All the Way that was made into a movie, Ben Affleck's first major movie, as a matter of fact, that was released in, I believe, 1997. And the director has done kind of a redo of that, and they're doing a celebration of it at Can Can on February the 1st. And that includes um, the director and, and Dan Wakefield... Uh, going up and doing like a Q&A beforehand. Uh, Can-Can is just off of Fountain Square, basically. Um, but you can find out everything at cancanindy.com. That's K-A-N, by the way, cancanindy.com. February 1st, when that's happening. Jake, random retread names. Are you surprised that any of these names have not surfaced? You know, we talk about Dan Quinn. Bill O'Brien went to the playoffs four times in six years. You mentioned him very early on, remember? Mike Zimmer was 15 games over 500 as a coach. You know, something we forgot to ask Chuck Pagano earlier in the week. It was a great, I thought a great interview, and we just kind of went a little along with him. But, like, does Chuck want to coach again? Right. I think he's said, that, hasn't he, that he's he's good. The Bears thing, and then he was done. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Bruce Weber yesterday told us he'd coach again. At 66, did we look that up? 66 years old? Bruce Weber? Yeah. Boy, that's a lot of energy. for Not that 66 is old, but I mean, he sounds like he's 40, right? Well, he had some opinions on NIL. Uh, he called it NLI first time. I, I've made that mistake, too, hacking him once. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, 66. Uh, yeah, 66 years old for Bruce Weber. Uh, did you get a hold of James, Mark? Well, not yet. we got to go to break. I'm not calling him that early. No, no, no. That was a bit of a Friday attitude out of, out of Mark Dyke. Here's, that PBR here's, must have not tasted very good. I didn't take here's, it yet. I didn't here's crack what one we open. Do. We need to have a meeting about this. Oh, yeah? What we do is. I didn't take it yet. Like, what, like it's medicine. What we do is. <laughs> I say. But after a week of shows, yeah, I say, did is. you get a hold of him? And then you say. Yes, and then I say, oh, okay, so that means he's joining us next, well, and then we go to break. I didn't See, play the radio game. The, or, yeah, okay, so we're going to do this again, all right? We're going to start the whole thing yeah, over again. I'm okay, going to go to the bathroom. If you, if you could uh, hit the little 10-second rewind button on your on your app. Uh, Mark, did you get a hold of uh, James Boyd? No, he's up next. Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> after the break, right? That's right. James Boyd will join us. Saw a cool graphic on Twitter. Jake, can, I, uh, can I just interject that if I had done that, you'd be all over me about the fact that my mic wasn't on and what am I doing? I just sit in casual. I don't even bring it. I don't even bring it up. I just, you know. You, you could argue the lack of care is an indicator of why you <laughs> misplace your headset on a routine basis there. Uh, <clears throat> James Boyd going to join us talk Colts head coaching search here in just a minute. Uh, kind of a cool graphic I saw on Twitter. 
MLB stadiums in location to downtown, their respective downtowns, basically the closest stadiums to downtown, the furthest stadium away from their downtown is what? The Washington Commanders. Excuse me, Major League Baseball. Oh, oh, I'm no, sorry. No, you said Major League Baseball. He just went NFL. Mm. Yeah, shocking. Sorry. Uh, okay. They're the all, ma- all of the them. Atlanta are- Braves. Okay, the Atlanta Braves looks to be the second. Okay. Furthest. Texas Rangers. That is the furthest. Kansas City Royals. Which one wasn't on it now, Mark, huh? Well, you said NFL first. Third time's a charm. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Listening. Uh, looks to be the closest. Cardinals, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, Reds, Twins. I mean, Brewers is right there. It's kind of an interesting. I'd love to see that for the NFL. It's got to be the stadium has to be there near there too. Mets is kind of is by LaGuardia. Mets and Yankees are pretty far out there. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Our next guest, James Boyd from the Athletic. <laughs> James obviously covers the Colts, um, and I do want to get into a lot of head coaching stuff with James. Uh, because I, I find the process interesting and ever-changing, and I'm feeling James kind of covering his first one probably feels the same way. But, James, we do have to start here. I was thinking about your mentions last night on Twitter as a Fighting Illini uh, product and as one that, if I'm not mistaken, has uh, been a little outspoken before about the in- Indiana-Illinois rivalry. Yeah, man, I think I learned my lesson this time around because last year uh, I think I, people didn't really know who I was at the time. So when I was making jokes, uh, I got people got a little feisty and a little mean and were in my mentions for days on end to talk about a game. And so uh, last time was a little more fun, a little more mild. But, yeah, I got more IU friends than I actually can remember. I was like, oh, dang, like you know, my phone was getting flooded with a bunch of uh, – you know, uh, red and uh, white, you know, circles and stuff like that and, and emojis and just a lot of trash talk. And I really couldn't say much back because it was bad. <laughs> it was you know, ugly. Here's what's interesting to me, James, and I don't mean this as a disrespect to Illinois. I mean, I, it, it's been a very good program. Certainly, you know, I've seen some Illinois teams that were unbelievable. But just yesterday I started hearing all of this buzz about it being a rivalry. And I thought from an Indiana standpoint – Broadcasts really try to drive that home. Yeah, and like from an from growing up a diehard IU fan, Illinois was certainly absolutely a respected opponent and one that you you know thought would be a great win if you were to go on the road and win there. But if I had to list Indiana basketball rivalries, it wouldn't be in the top five. What about from the Illinois side? Yeah, I don't personally. I don't think it is. I just think it's something to try to inject some new life into. Just, I guess, this new era of Illinois basketball. But, I mean, you can say whatever you want until you go out there and, and then you get smacked in the face like that by Trace Jackson Davis and, and company. Um, whatever you said beforehand does not apply. So, um, it was it was pretty weird to kind of see them kind of bill it that way. Um, and, again, when you don't perform, it's even harder to kind of have those legs to stand on. So, I thought it was funny. Um, I don't mind it. Like, if you try to build it up, I know they showed the Chester Frazier Eric Gordon chest bump and all that stuff, but it just it didn't live up to it. And especially if you're going to get smacked and not smack anybody back, I mean, my goodness, it was just not no really double teams. a game ever. No, it's no. And then I was reading comments afterward, you know, Brad Underwood saying the 35 isn't what beat us; it's the other guys. And I'm like, eh, 35 is like a lot of points. That usually helps teams win games. So. He's, my analysis. <laughs> he's James Boyd. He's going to regroup here in the next 48 hours uh, from The Athletic, <laughs> an Illinois product. Again, covers the Colts for The Athletic alongside Zach Kiefer and Bob Kravitz. 
James, a lot of candidates. Uh, it's over a dozen now. Uh, let's put Bubba Ventrone and Jeff Saturday to the side. Everybody else is either an offensive or defensive coordinator. Give me one offensive name that has stood out to you in doing some background and one defensive name that has stood out to you in doing the background. Um, I'd say Shane Steichen to start off with offense um, just because of the quarterbacks he's worked with. You know, he's worked with Phillip Rivers, worked with Justin Herbert. Most impressively, per- perhaps, he's worked with Jalen Hurts. You know, and you can expect Herbert and Phillip Rivers to kind of be the star players they've become because they were top ten picks, but Jalen Hurts was a second rounder who's now in the MVP conversation. So, obviously, that's a that's a big, you know, get and, and, and a guy who, you know, obviously would be pretty interesting if you pair him with a first-year quarterback, which the Colts, you know, should do. They should definitely draft a quarterback. Um, then you have Brian Callahan, who kind of jumped in there late, and, uh, you know, he's reportedly interviewing today for the Colts job. So, obviously, given his ties to Peyton Manning, Joe Burrow, you know, Matthew Stafford, that's another one that would probably be a very good uh, fit if you're trying to kind of structure an offense around, you know, a, a young mind and, and, and a guy who, you know, presumably would be the first-year franchise. And then defensively, you know, like Jonathan Gannon, who the stuff that he's done over there with, you know – um, the Eagles, they, they've been pretty solid, you know, in the, in the years that he's been there. Obviously, they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. And I just think that, you know, the other big, big defensive name who will probably be at the top of us is D'Amico Ryans, just because of, I mean, look at the San Francisco defense. Obviously, talent helped, but he's been lights out, man. I feel like just the last two years around the league, um, he's been that, that name that's probably buzzed the most, you know, among uh, head coaching candidates. And it feels like, if it's not Indy, it might be somewhere else for that type of guy. And because of not only who will vouch for him, you know, on the 49 side, but who will vouch for him around the league and the staff, he will probably be able to build. What do you believe, James? James Boyd is our guest. He's from The Athletic. He's on the Payless Liggers hotline. What do you believe is the percentage chance Jeff Saturday is hired on as the head coach full-time? Percentage chance? Oh, that's a tough one. Um. Man, I'd have to say if they're doing this legitimately, which I believe they are, I would say 5%. Um, it's hard to overcome the resumes of other guys that are, you know, up against him. And that's something against Jeff Saturday. I think that I've said this, you know, multiple times. He cares. He's passionate. Um, I don't doubt that at all. But at some point, the experience, um, the knowledge, and just the uh, amount of, you know, being able to mess up and said, hey, this is what I've learned, this is what I've, you know, done to grow since then matters. And I know people have kind of been harping on Raheem Morris's first time as a head coach and, and things like that. But you got to remember, this guy has 20 years now, you know, 20-plus years in the NFL as a coach. So that matters. And I think that that's the thing that probably hurts Jeff Saturday the most. And then when I look at just how many candidates, it's like you're not just going up against, you know, four or five guys. You're going against multiple people. I mean, you know, and, and dozens, you know, not dozens, but I mean double-digits amount of people. So um, it's hard, man. I think that the only reason he's even being considered for the job is because of him being interim coach and his relationship with Jim Ursay. But at some point, I believe, if you, if, you know, Chris Ballard, as he said, is leading this search – um, Jim Ursay needs to trust him and let him do that. And I don't think, you know, from the comments that, you know, Ballard made that he's very high on Jeff Saturday, and I don't think anybody should be that high on him, honestly. It's James Boyd with The Athletic, again, alongside Zach Kiefer, Bob Kravitz. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. James, what have you made of an NFL head coaching search? You know, I feel like in the college world, it's so secretive. It usually happens very quickly. Um, from an NFL standpoint, we're, what, two weeks removed from the end of the season, and 
none of the five openings have been filled so far. So I, just more of a curiosity thing in general because it is ever-changing. I mean, it's a different process for me covering it, you know, five years removed from what it was in 2018 when Frank Reich eventually got the job. So what have you thought of it? Yeah, I think even transitioning from the NBA to the NFL, it's just weird that everything is, like, announced. There's, like, a schedule for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, where this is when, you know, they can start talking to coaches and everyone was talking about Black Monday. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And it's like when everyone gets fired and they start you know, looking for coaches. And I was like, oh, this is a thing, like, every single year. So, you know, as a fan, when you hear, like, the coaching cycle, I was pretty much a casual NFL fan. But now being, like, kind of more immersed in the sport, I'm like, oh, like, there is truly a cycle and just a, a way that they do things every single year. And I think that's the most surprising thing is just how open they are about it. And so you're able to dive in. And I think one of the more enticing things, which is, I guess, to the NFL's credit, is they make everything a spectacle, you know, by announcing the names and kind of, you know, reporting who's where. And, and you know, you can able to look up guys' backgrounds. You, you can just create more dialogue, more news, more, you know, uh, just things that people are willing to talk about as far as fans, coaches, players, whatever. And so I think that it's become, you know, it's a serious matter, but it's also something where you're able to weigh in and share your opinions and, again, have people, you know, in your comments, I'm sure you have used experience where you're just, they're debating, you know, this guy's great, this guy's terrible, and you get them flip-flopped with the next comment. So that's the most interesting thing to me. James Boyd is our guest. James, I asked Kevin this earlier. I'll run it past you as well. Um, when you hear, for example, the Colts have requested permission to talk to Brian Callahan, when you hear that, do you believe, you know, you were talking about the cycles and how the NFL works and, and you know, some of it kind of being illuminated to you. I, I don't fully understand this part of it, so I didn't know if the, that if you've asked people or, or found this out. Does that mean that, like, guys are, you know, is this like a typical job? Like, the Colts posted somewhere that they have a head coaching opening and head coach opening and guys applied for it. And so then Send they went to the letter. Yeah. Then they went to the franchise and said, hey, <laughs> we'd like to interview this guy. Or are the Colts actually making the first move here? I believe the Colts are making the first move on a lot of these just because um, it, I can't imagine that, you know, guys who are probably in the middle of, you know, for example, Brian Callahan is in the middle of his playoff run, he's like, hey, I want to go interview for this team. Or, you know, if you know someone over there, I suppose it could probably go that way. But I'd imagine that they're the ones requesting these interviews, doing it by the book. And then from there, I mean, you can accept it or deny it if you're, you know, a team or if you're a certain um, individual. So at least they're doing it legit. It just comes down to at this point, I'm like, okay, you've cast a wide net. When do we start seeing you whittle these things down? O'Brien Callahan is reportedly, reportedly supposed to interview today again. So, um, that kind of helps the timeline, but at some point we're going to stop seeing, um, you know, just new names and start seeing maybe some other names move on to actual in-person interviews or at least second interviews through Zoom and stuff like that. And what makes it interesting for him and D'Amico Ryan and others is like their teams are in the playoffs, and as long as those things keep going, this process can keep getting drawn out. So um, we'll see. And, and Chris Ballard said he's willing to wait till mid-February if he has to to get the right guy. And quite honestly, that's the right approach because – this decision and obviously the quarterback decision are two that are going to determine probably the fate of his job. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with the amount of patience and the intel the Colts are gathering throughout this process. Uh, Dan Quinn, the other reported interview for today for the Colts, along with, as James said, Brian Callahan. James Boyd with The Athletic is here on the Payless Slickers hotline. James, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't have the answer to at all. Um, be Jim Mercer for a second, if you don't mind. You've just hired mm -hmm. Jeff Saturday. 
What are you saying in the press conference as to why you've hired Jeff Saturday? I'm I'm saying because he's the best fit. He's a better fit, you know. <laughs> and I asked him that question. I was going to say that's the, the exact question you asked him back in November. <laughs> now that I think about it. Oh man, I asked him, you know, why is he the the best fit? And he said, you just said it because he's the best fit. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I said. But you know, it's a funny inside joke, I guess, not in the Colts beat. But honestly, I truly don't know. I think that the first thing you're going to be saying is that you went through a legitimate hiring process because you're going to get investigated by the league. You're going to get scrutinized by everyone around the league. It's going to be a really, really bad look. I'm not saying that you can't hire who you want to, but man, that, that'll be a hard one to kind of bounce back from and, and to kind of show that you're serious as a franchise because like, does he just preach leadership? Point, didn't have a full chant. Like I, I, I don't, I'm trying to like think what he would say. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? You know, uh, my buddy Zach Kiefer asked, you know, Jeff Saturday, hey, what, what are you going to say? What can you sell? And he's like, I'm going to keep it close to the vest. And it's like, is that just your approach or is that because you don't really have a strong argument to say? Because I can, I can imagine if they had gone 7-1 and one, or even if they had gone 3-5, but, but what about know, this? Uh, three and five, he would say something that's, that would help his case. He just said nothing, and it was, you know, it was all you know, bad before I got here. Here's, here's what I think is fascinating. And I'm saying this to provide a different beam of light through the prism here, not because I necessarily think that's the case, but but for either of you two, is it possible that while I understand that the Colts are going to say that they wanted to win games and that they wanted Jeff Saturday to, to save their season and whatever else, is it possible that Jim say eight games into it or whatever it was, said, you know what, I think the season is lost? And I have legitimate concerns about the roster and the culture of my franchise. And I, so I want somebody that is my guy to come in and be able to basically completely do an inventory of everything and then give me an itemized list of what my issues are and what my strengths are. And I'm going to bring a guy in to do that. And that is the only job requirement I have for him and if those things come back to me in a fair and balanced report, then he has done his job to my satisfaction, and he and I both know that. And I'm not worried what other people think. Is it possible, James Boyd, that that's exactly what took place with Jeff Saturday? I just don't think so, man. I think that Jim Irsay truly believes that that was going to be a home run hire. It's going to be someone that can you know, invigorate the team, help them get some wins. And then you go back to when they beat, you know, the Raiders, you know, he got on Twitter and, and was kind of, you know, chirping a little bit and saying, hey, you know, this is why I got this guy, whatever, whatever. And, and kind of, you know, criticizing the criticism of the hire. Almost so like Ursay was incredulous as to why it was not universally praised, right? right? Very quiet exactly. after the seven exactly. losses to follow, by the way. Exactly. So I think that he, and honestly, I think that he respects the game too much to just hire a coach he thinks wouldn't do a good job. I just think that his, relationship with Jeff Saturday kind of clouded his judgment. Kind of like Dan Olofsky. I don't know if you all saw that tweet where he was tweeting out some of the, the strong suits, I guess, or the improvements that Jeff Saturday made. And one of the bullet points that he had was that Jeff Saturday, you know, had three halftime leads and, and, and five leads after the first quarter. And I'm like, no one cares about that. Like, I, the other stuff was at least, like, you know, marked improvement and things that you could point to and say, okay, this actually did improve. Like, there's data for this. But to say – oh, he led after the first quarter five times and after the halftime, 
you know, at halftime three times. And when one of those halftime leads was a 33-0 lead and you blew it and it's the biggest one in NFL history, like, let's be for real here. Like, we're going to, like, you know, if you're going to go go to bat for your guy, like, be for real about it and actually name some things that even if they aren't statistical things that you can kind of bend in, in a way. But to say that, I was like, that doesn't help his case at all. That makes it look worse. Because that means if you actually led in those games, you lost those most of those games. So that's not good. That's not a good thing. Yeah, the old Giants three nothing lead to lose thirty eight to ten. Boy, that's that's quite the resume builder, right there. James, last one for me. Um, we'll play the. Will you take the A group of candidates or the B group of candidates? So in the A group, let's throw the two former head coaches. So we'll throw Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn in there, and then let's also throw the uh, throw the couple Colts coaches in there. Jeff Saturday, Bubba Ventrone. So that's Group A: Morris, Quinn, Saturday, Bubba. Group B is the field. You taking Group A or Group B as the Colts head coach? I'm going Group B. I feel like there's going to be someone probably. If you really want to start over, start fresh, give someone a, a you know a shot with this thing. Um, I'd probably go Group B. Um, and again, so you're going a little coordinator, kind of the younger coordinator route. Younger is coordinator. Um, you know some of the backgrounds that they have, especially offensively. I think that that's a little more encouraging for the situation they're in, particularly because unlike some teams, you know, like Arizona isn't worried about drafting a franchise quarterback. You know, they have one, or at least they've invested in one in Kyler Murray. The Colts in a really unique situa- situation where their their head coach is going to directly affect, obviously, their pick and, and who they get and how they develop him. So I think that uh, Group B is probably my guess. But, again, I want to just put it out there. Of all of these candidates, the only one that I think will be an egregious hire is, is Jeff Saturday. Interesting. Uh, the Athletic is where you can read James's work. James, we appreciate the time and look forward to having you back on. Enjoy the weekend, all right? He's dumbfounded Thank by Brad Underwood's defense as Trey Jackson Davis <laughs> last night. You know, we'll, we'll see if uh, he has, you know, some enlightenment when they play again, I believe, February 18th in Bloomington. I'm hoping to go. Hoping to go to Assembly Hall for the first time for a game. So, uh, win or lose, I just want to experience a good basketball game. And they heard, they told me it's the best, you know, environment in the country. So, um, from seeing it on TV, it kind of looks like it, so I'm excited to go. It's James, cool have, have a great weekend, man. All right, you all too. That's James Boyd right there on the Payless Slickers Hotline again in Illinois product. Uh, Jake, where would you go with that one? Group A, the ex-head coaches, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn. I'll throw the two Colts names in there as well, Jeff Saturday and Bubba Ventrone. Or Group B would be the field. A. Because I think Raheem Morris – it. Raheem Morris and Jeff Saturday and me would be the two front runners. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest in Raheem Morris. A lot. Um, very curious to see how this weekend's interviews play out because I think there's some pretty good candidates on this list, Amico Ryan's being being one of those. All right, it is a freebie Friday pop quiz coming up in five minutes. Oh, Mike Bray question on there, Scotty. Thank you. Appreciate that. Nice three-paragrapher to end it. <laughs> I You're forgot Gonzaga lost last night. You're not home. kidding. Was it Loyola Marymount? Yep. Is that who beat Gonzaga last night? So does that mean – I thought we had a pop quiz question a few weeks back that, like, Purdue has the longest – is that the non-conference home court win streak? I don't know about Zags. Gonzaga obviously lost the conference game, so they would still have the longest non-conference – but yeah, the Zags lose last night. Uh, let's get into a morning check down. The morning, 
The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. A little double shock power right there, right? That's right. Last night in college Shotgun basketball. To Shotgun to PBR. <laughs> no double shock double teams for Trace Jackson Davis last night, and as a result, he went off for 35 against Illinois. Indiana wins 80-65 over in Champaign. Jordan Geronimo had 13. Kevin, I thought he was very key in kind of freeing up Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, no, that's two in a row for really talented guy, very athletic in Geronimo, so much needed without Race Thompson. Um, again, timeout, 4 nothing. Uh, just, what, two minutes into the game, IU was down 4 nothing. They rattle off 12 in a row after that and were in full control the rest of the way. Trace Jackson Davis looked like a first-team All-American and really one of the finest wins in the Mike Woodson era. Here was Mike Woodson on the Road W. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. Well, I mean, he was played him a lot of minutes. And, you know, played him the whole first half. And, you know, and we rode him. I mean, they didn't double-team him. And uh, I was... And each time out, I was like, you know, the double team might be coming. So we got to, you know, set our offense accordingly. And it never came. And he made great plays around the rim. Funky Cole Medina. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of never gets old, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Also last night, Purdue, by the way, the number three team in the land showing why. 61-39 win over Minnesota on the road. That's been a house of horrors historically for the Boilers. Five-game win streak now. They are 6-0 and in true road games. Braden Smith had 19. The real key, I thought, for Purdue was that Zach Eady had just 12 and did not matter. Purdue managed to find scoring elsewhere where they had been very reliant on their big man over the course of the year. Boilers now 18-1. and Oakland also over IEPY 83-77 last night. It was Purdue-Fort Wayne over Wright State and Southern Indiana getting a win 81-65 over Lindenwood in state play. Uh, Looking ahead tonight, the Indiana Pacers, their final 9 o'clock tips of the season. Um, It'll be in Denver tonight. That is Nikola Jokic, one of the best teams in the NBA, if not the best. Um, Denver has won 15 straight at home. And then tomorrow night, I would assume one that Miles Turner and DeAndre Ayton have had circled to a degree on the calendar. The Suns are really struggling, though. Uh, injuries to Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Cam Johnson. They've lost 9 of 10. They are outside of even the play-in picture right now. Again, Tyrese Halliburton will not play in these games. The reevaluation for him will come in uh, reportedly about six days. So we'll see if the Pacers can end this five-game losing skid. I can't imagine. I mean, they got to be a double-digit underdog tonight, right? Double-digit, to say the least, right? I mean – let me fire this up and see what the uh, old line is. I'll say eleven, tonight. but they lose by. I'll bet they lose by seventeen. Plus eleven. So what it is? Yep, two forty is on. the over under. Do you guys ever just thank yourself that you have access to this sort of just incredible encyclopedia? I'm thankful for the six pack of PBR waiting for me after the show. Have you not? Did, did you not have one last night? Not yet. I should have. I had a PBR at the Red Key last night. Yeah, draft PBR. of course. Red Key, no draft. Well, Jake you said you only do he, draft. Jake was I, telling I, me after the show he doesn't do can or bottle. I do I know, not do so can we, or bottle, but we went to the Red Key, and I'm like, okay, I'm at the Red Key, right? Cash only, right? Cash only. So I'm like, I've got to have a beer with my grilled cheese. So I got a Diet Coke and a bottle of PBR. It's about the only place I would do it. How did it taste? It was good. Yeah. It was not good. bad. But I prefer draft. 
We're going to give out our uh, NFL divisional round picks to conclude the show. As we mentioned, the pop quiz coming up. For those that missed it, I Scotty is pacing. He is pacing. Like, get on with it, guys. Get to the pop quiz. I was running around my neighborhood naked yesterday at the announcement that Mike Bray will retire. Oil change to give away, Scotty says. Come on. 23 years at the helm of Notre Dame. My favorite Mike Bray moment, probably that Elite Eight against Kentucky, where I thought they I thought they were gonna beat undefeated Kentucky in Cleveland and that one and uh, to put a little salt in the wounds, Duke won it all that year here in Indianapolis. Notre Dame beat Duke twice that season. Was that the year that Duke won it all? I thought Notre Dame in Kentucky was the year that Kentucky was undefeated. Correct. Then Wisconsin. Oh you're right. This Wisconsin beat him and Duke, Duke beat Wisconsin. Beat Wisconsin. Right. You're right. Over at Lucas Oil Stadium. So the head coaching search will begin. And honestly, Jake, I think it's a bummer for college basketball. Mike Bray's great dude. Um, I think kind of helped the old guard and the new guard a little bit there. I think people uh, have a lot of respect for him. And you see him, you see Jay Wright. You're seeing a lot of, I think, names that people like leave college basketball. Game's changing, man. Game's changing. All right, pop quiz time. It's next, 317-239-1070. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the pop quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. One of the things I love about Jiffy Lube, by the way, is the fact that they like to help out people who are helping out other Hoosiers. And as a result of that, you can always go to Jiffy Lube's Jiffy Lube Indiana website and nominate a Hoosier hero who uses their vehicle to help out others. Meals on Wheels, for example, is a good example of that, where Jiffy Lube then uh, selects Hoosiers in that category and offers them free vehicle maintenance for a year because of their commitment to helping out and making life better for all of us in central Indiana, which is I love that. very cool and very much appreciated. They also, of course, sponsor... Our pop quiz, where if you go five for five, you win a free oil change. But um, on Fridays, it doesn't matter because it is freebie Friday. And much to the chagrin of Scotty, who has to then go reach into his pocketbook of Jiffy Lube gift certificates, he does so on Friday regardless of the effort. This is not on the pop quiz, but Scotty, I don't know if you saw this. Eagles-Giants Saturday night will be the NFL matchup postseason NFL matchup with the most ever rushing yards by the quarterbacks. Over 1,400 combined from Daniel Jones and Jalen Hurts this season. The health of Jalen Hurts. How healthy is he? I that's think a, that'll be that's a ironic, big, isn't it? Big storyline Saturday night. Alright, Jake, number one through eight. Uh, what is Jalen Hurts' jersey number? He's two, isn't he? One. one that's right. Carson Wentz was two. Uh, we'll go with number one then. Eagles fans are oof, yeah, that's right. At that. <laughs> Drew, hi Drew. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going. Drew, How what's on the weekend agenda? Uh, let's see. It's my daughter's birthday on Monday. She's turning eight. Oh, that's cool. Know. And yeah, and and fun. where might the birthday party be taking place? Uh, we're gonna do a yes day for her. Is what she wants. So, so we're gonna say, say yes, yes to everything. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Sound thrilled by that? Uh, it should be pretty good. She she she's a pretty good girl. So and and we're, we're, uh, Drew, this is what number child for you? The, the this is number one. I have two. Okay, and and what is her name? Uh, Noel. 
Okay, so Noel, we'd like to wish you a very happy birthday to Noel. And her birthday is today or just over the course of the weekend? Monday. A Monday, okay. Uh, mo- Monday to be exact. Gotcha, okay. Um, and then, Drew, have you called the program before? Uh, I called uh, over kind of Christmas break. Uh, it was just you and Mark. You sound like a nice fella, actually. Are you from the area? Yeah, yeah I've lived here my entire life, born and raised. And, and what area of town? Uh, I'm uh, like Broad Ripple area. Oh, okay. So, and so, what high school then? Uh, I went to Cardinal Ritter. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Um, Raiders. Wouldn't yep. you have got? Why not Chatard? Because you obviously you went parochial. So, uh, my, I had I had a fr- I had my best friend growing up. He uh, actually all his brothers went to Chatard, but he went to Ritter, and he was the youngest of the brothers. So I was friends with him. So I I ended up going to. Ritter just kind of, you know, go hang out with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> a, fine, a fine reasoning for academic yeah. choices, right? A recruiting package yeah. deal for the near <laughs> west side Ritter Raiders. I there. like that. Yep. Chittard's yep. lost Ritter's game. Drew, was was the 500 a big deal going to Ritter since it's like right there in the shadows of the Speedway? Uh, yeah, we, uh, let's see, uh, carburation day, they closed. I don't know if they still did it, but like, if we reach like a certain, like a uh, donation goal, we didn't have to go to school. That's that day. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cause you couldn't really, you couldn't really get there, I guess. Yeah. So. Well, that's true too. All right. Uh, Drew, would you like for me, that would be Jake to lead you off with question number one, or would you choose Kevin to lead you off today? I'm going to go with Jake since Mark helped me the last time. Okay. Uh, here we go. The Bills host the Bengals Sunday in Orchard Park. The Bills lead the all-time series 17-15. This will be the third playoff game between these two franchises. Who leads the series in the postseason? A, the Bengals, or B, the Bills? I'm going to go with the, uh, the Bills. Did you, did you like that band? Um, what's it? White Stripes? Is that, isn't that a band? Yeah. Yeah, did, were you a fan of them? Uh, yeah. I mean, what, not, what if they changed the name of their band to Black Stripes? Is there one of the two franchises that you would uh, think that that actually favors? I would go with the Bengals. Okay. There we go here. There's a smart dude. He said the Bengals. It was an 80s band. That, that's true. <laughs> Walk <laughs> like an Egyptian, baby. Drew, Mike yeah. Bray. Drew, if you don't mind, can you turn your radio down in the background? Thank you. All good. Uh, Mike Bray announced he will retire following Notre Dame's current basketball season. Bray currently has 481 wins with the Fighting Irish, the seventh most among active D1 men's basketball head coaches at their current schools. Jim Beheim leads the way with over 1,000. Who is second on that list? Is it A, Tom Izzo, B, Bill Self, C, Mark Few, or D, one of the characters of college basketball, Greg Campy? I'm going to go with Tom Izzo. Smart choice. Okay. Question number three. Loyola Marymount, who made a miraculous run in the 1990 NCAA tournament and defeated Michigan in one of the most exciting games in tournament history, ended Gonzaga's 76-game home winning streak with a 68-67 victory last night. Who was the last team who was coached by a friend of the show to beat the Bulldogs in Spokane. Is it Loyola Marymount, Santa, uh, Santa Clara, St. Mary's, or Pepperdine? I'm going to go with St. Mary's. Okay. Okay here, Drew. Number four, Gonzaga's home winning streak was the longest since the 1970s, early 80s. Name the team that had its 80-game 
home streak halted in 1984? A. Memphis State, B. New Mexico, C. North Carolina, or D. Lamar? A lot of people. I'm gonna go with North Carolina on that one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with North North Carolina. My hint was gonna be a brothel. My hint was gonna be who's been mentioned as a potential Colts quarterback. Uh, question number five. Steph Curry hit a half-court heave at the end of the first half of the Warriors' loss in Boston last night, the fifth time in his career that Curry hit a shot of 45 feet or longer. That ties the record for most since the NBA started keeping this ridiculously obscure stat in the 1996-1997 season. Two other players have hit five shots from 45 feet or more in their careers. One played collegiately at Michigan, the other played collegiately at Michigan State, and also played at Marion High School where he defeated Jared Jeffries in the state title game. Name one of the two players that we're talking about. Oh, oh man. Um, I, I've got no idea. <laughs> I'm going to go with... Uh, uh, Guy played one year at Michigan State. He played at Marion. He was kind of a, a – he always looked like he was a little bit overweight, and he bounced around the NBA a little bit before finding really a permanent home in Memphis and becoming a very popular player for the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, uh, His initials uh, are ZR. ZR. His name's just a little different than Santa's favorite reindeer. That's right. Oh, man. Uh Drew, where do you draw, Drew? Where do you draw the line on saying yes to your daughter? Like, if she's like, I, I'd like a live pig at my What if she wants party? a PBR party? What do you do then? Oh, I haven't drank in four and a half years, so. <laughs> no, her. What? What if she wants the PBR party? Uh, you got to uh, say no, right? Yeah, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say you're gonna need some more uh, about uh, about uh, 12 more years there, 12, or 13 more. That's right. Now, what about what about a pig? If she wants a pig at the party, yeah, a nice live pig. Um, a live pig. I mean, if I could swing it, maybe you know, I, I would do it. I think our listening audience could aid you in that endeavor. Blinking acres. I guess if you guys could see a picture of me, you'd kind of be like, yeah, you might be up for a few. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. I got, right. I got about I got about seventy five percent coverage on tattooage here, so I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, I'm Heck pretty yeah. open guy. Oh, that's a <laughs> solid coverage there. Uh, are you just throwing up the white flag for number five here, Drew? Yeah, I think no. I'm going to punt on that. <laughs> uh, all right, Jake. Bills, Bengals. Drew sounds Sunday. like a fun guy. There's going to be Diet Coke at the PBR party, so we'd love to have Drew there. Yeah, what, uh, who do we have? Was it Pam earlier in the week? Yeah. Yeah, uh, she told me she was going to bring a six-pack. Uh, Bills and Bengals, Sunday in Orchard Park. Bills have won 13 or less, 14, by the way, home playoff games. Uh, but who leads the all-time series in the postseason? The Bengals won the 81 yeah, Divisional Playoff 28-21 in the 88-80 AFC Championship game 21-10. Mike Bray, seventh among active coaches and wins at their current school. He got it right. <laughs> Jim Beheim is first. We are asking for second on the list, and correctly, Drew said, Tom Izzo. That is correct. 678 wins in East Lansing. Who's sixth, Izzo. Scotty? You, you give us first, Beheim. Second, Izzo. Third, Few. Fourth, Greg Campy. Fifth, Bill Self. Friend of the show. Oh, Randy Bennett. St. Mary's? 
Randy Bennett's six. Randy How about Bennett. Randy Bennett to South Bend? Get him back in the state. Oh, I'm text him right now. Kevin would like you for Randy. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Randy Bennett like him. and Yeah, he is a heck of a coach. That um, reminds me of Bray a little. As a matter of fact, he also coached the last team to have beaten Gonzaga in Spokane. St. Mary's did it yeah. January Great, 18th of 2018. Look at these transitions we have here. You'd think we are doing this for a living. Uh, Drew, stay on the line. Uh, usually when I say that, that means you're going to miss the next question. Uh, Gonzaga's home streak was the longest since the 70s, 80s. Name the team that had its 80-game home streak halted in 1984. I went brothel. Does, didn't Lamar Odom venture into some brothels? He did. Yeah. Show your, your mind's at, Kev. Well, where was your hint, Jake? You you went a little bit Lamar more Jackson politically correct. Quarterback that has been mentioned for the Colts next year. Uh, the University, Lamar, in the state of Texas, 1978 to 84. You blew it! You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> the guy's a winner. Uh, Noel, happy birthday, by the way. Part of your yes weekend is the fact that your dad's going to be able to say yes to a free oil change. But Jamal Crawford and Zach Randolph were the answers for question number five. You had mentioned, by the way, Kevin, um, that the nice thing about Mike Bray announcing his retirement ahead of time is now he gets the spoils of the kind of the victory lap, or not the victory lap, but the good the farewell tour. Sure. Um, speaking of Lamar, I have a, a great story about a farewell tour of a prominent Big Ten coach and the gift that he was given when he made his last trip to Assembly Hall in Bloomington. I thought you were going to say to Lamar. I was like, boy, this is quite the It'll, I'll tie all transition. those things together, and we'll put a bow tie on it and talk about the weekend of playoff games next. The Fan. Uh, I have told this story before many times, but it is one of my favorites. When I was in college, uh, I lived – technically next door to, although we kind of made it one big apartment. Um, totally randomly, uh, Pat Knight, we became very good friends, great guy. And Ryan Carr, who's now with the Pacers, also uh, lived there. But when Indiana was set to play Michigan State in Bloomington and Judd Heathcote's last year at Michigan State, and they knew it was going to be Judd Heathcote's last year, we were sitting around that afternoon. It was like a Thursday game or Tuesday game or something. Uh, just sitting around the apartment and the phone rings and, and it's been a long time ago, obviously. So I can't recall if it was Bob Knight or probably more likely his, one of his assistants that, that called, but called the home phone and Pat answers and yeah, uh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, all right. Yeah. Okay, no. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. And hangs up and says, well, guys, I, we got to go. Where are we going? Well, we had to go to Bob Knight's house, because in his garage, he had a garage full of stuff that people would just send to him as gifts and donations or products, you know, to promote. And he called or the, I can't remember if it was he or the, anyway, they, they were like, look, we got to get something for Judd Heathcote, I guess he's retiring. And there's a, there's a green leather recliner in the garage that somebody had donated to me like two years ago as some sort of a gift and it's still in the plastic wrap so can you go grab that thing and head over to the college mall and at that place called things remembered have them put a brass plaque on the back that says congratulations Judd Heathcote 
So drove over there like three in the afternoon, pulled this. Nothing says congrats, coach, like that. <laughs> Leather recliner and re-gifted it right there to Judd Heathcote at halftime of the Indiana-Michigan State game. Man, you have to wheel that thing out to midcourt. And a fan can sit in it, actually, during That's the right. second half. So that was the, that was the well thought out gift. That uh, Jake, we got a little bit of a Tyrese Halliburton update. Um, I am assuming this was recorded yesterday. Uh, this is Halliburton on the JJ Redick podcast, and again, we are a week and a day into the original update on Halliburton, which was he will be reevaluated in two weeks. So that would be Thursday, January 26th for a left knee, left elbow injuries. Based off this update, sounds like that might be a few more days. Here was Halliburton with Tyrese. Can you provide us with an injury update? What is going on with you right now? Uh, I heard, well, like they said, I hurt my elbow, hurt my knee. It's probably doing too much. That's why that happened. Usually happens that way uh reevaluate the end of the month um starting to get stronger every day feeling better every day uh got my second opinion so things are going well you know hopefully at the end of the month things are you know hopefully in the next you know 11 12 days i feel better and uh, i can get back to start february that's the goal so again jake that sounds to be a little bit later than the original two-week reevaluation. Yep. if you look at the games between now and then at denver at phoenix the back-to-back friday and saturday night right here this weekend then return home to take on the Bulls at Orlando, Milwaukee, and at Memphis. So that is a really a, quite the stretch. A couple of doable games in there, but just a couple. February right? 2nd, February 3rd, you'd have the Lakers and Kings back-to-back. Jake, I think the real question you have to ask yourself, if we're getting to the end of January, why not just wait till the All-Star break? February 15th. He knows you got that win total going. He wants to get back. Do you really want to rush it? Hey, let's get him out there on February 6th. Yeah. You know, at that point. Fair. Again, like, you don't want to risk it with your franchise player. But not a great update there. Again, I think we kind of expected it to be longer than two weeks, and it sounds like. That's what it will be on the Halliburton front. All right, let's give out uh, – let's, let's make some picks for these divisional games. You want to do that? Yep. All right, let's start with the first one. Saturday, 4.30, winners of 7 of 8 would be the Jags. Ironically, they lost Week 10 in Kansas City. Since then, they've won 7 of 8. Uh, minus 8.5, as last I saw, the Chiefs yep. as the favorite. There is always a game in the postseason that puts things – off kilter. I remember when New England nine, stunned boy. the world and knocked out Miami and then went on to the Super Bowl back in 86. The Colts going into Kansas City with Len Elliott missing kicks. There's always a game that, that throws the world on its ear. Baltimore upsetting Peyton Manning in Denver. You're going with your guy? This is going to go one of two ways. They're either, Jacksonville is either going to get absolutely blown off the field or they're going to hang around. Yeah, Jags over Denver in 96. Jags do it again. Jacksonville stuns the Ooh, world. Look at this. That's my upset pick. Jacksonville wins an arrowhead. Mark? Uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I don't know. I think it'll be closer than the eight and a half, but the Chiefs will still win. Yeah, I'm kind of with Mark. You know, you think in recent years, you had the Texans and Titans hang in there on the road at Arrowhead. I think Jacksonville could do that. Um, I'll go with Kansas City. 
this would be the third team in NFL history to make five straight AFC championships if the Chiefs are able to win. Patriots did it 2011 to 18. you got to go all the way back to the 70s with the Raiders. Uh, pretty impressive if the Chiefs accomplish that on Saturday. All right, the nightcap. Mark, uh, you lead us off. Giants, Eagles, a touchdown favorite there, the Eagles. Giants have been uh, a fun team for the year. Brian Dable, hell of a first year. It ends on Saturday night, though. Eagles will win. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I, I don't think New York's got enough to hang with Philly. You guys worry about the health? Jalen Hurts at all? No, I think they got enough weapons. Huh. I think his running element is a big, big deal. We saw in the wild card week in the divisional the, the division matchups, third time, very close games. I'm mm-hmm. curious if the Giants can kind of hang in there, uh, but I'll go with the Eagles there. All right, Shifton Garris this Sunday. Two great matchups, Bengals and Bills. This spread, four or five. Uh, five and a half now. The Bills' favorite in this one. Since he's won nine in a row, Buffalo's won eight in a row. Uh, Buffalo's a great story, and it's been an unbelievable run, and they are massively talented, but Cincinnati – Ooh. This game, the game, potentially should be in Cincinnati. Bengals take it out on them. Cincinnati wins. I, I just really worry about that Cincinnati O line. I mean, they could have, should have lost to Baltimore in the wild card round. Um, I worry about that Bengals O line, and I think Buffalo is starting to get a little removed from the emotional hangover. Uh, I'm going with the Bills. Bills have been my Super Bowl pick since the start of the season. I'm rolling with them. It'll be closer than five and a half, though. Well, I got to go with my Super Bowl pick to round it out. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I I think Dallas, if if Dak Prescott continues to play the way he did last week, I think they're going to be tough to beat. so good last week. I I take Dallas as well. I'm sticking with Brock Purdy. I think the the Cowboys swing violently, whether they're like the commander's game to the game against the whoever they played last week and stuff, but I'm going to take the 49 Do you know where you find his teeth? Who? The San Francisco quarterback. Brock Purdy? Yeah. Yeah, What? In his Purdy mouth. The last rookie to win a divisional round playoff game in the NFL. What's that? The last rookie quarterback to win a divisional round game. Andrew Luck? Mark Sanchez? Mark Dykton right there, everybody. Wow. Mark Sanchez and the Jets 09. That was certainly a predictor of a career of... The only others to do it in NFL history, Joe Flacco, Big Ben, and Sean King. I thought Purdy had some shaky moments against Seattle. We'll see how he handles it this weekend. Everybody have a great, great weekend. Uh, enjoy whatever's on the agenda. We'll talk to you Monday to recap it all. Kevin and Corey signing off 93.5 on 7.5 The Fan.